Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Sisters of the Leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys congregate via live video. Thanks, coronavirus, you giant asshole. To kick off their sixth annual drunken march to Halloween, which, let's be honest, is usually more of a tipsy stumble than a true march. Anywho... Our favorite crew of inebriated numbnuts will be discussing the 1988 horror cult classic, The Carpenter, while smoking the Death Bucket Cigar from Room 101, paired with an impressive amount of tasty craft beers. Sounds like we're in store for one hell of a spooky good time, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. So, boys, I think this is our first film that we've discussed on the podcast where one of the main characters is a carpenter. I think you're right. Seems like we would have had a carpenter on the show, 123 shows now, but I I sure as shit can't think of one. I'm way too lazy to look it up. Um, Hell, Yaks, you've dabbled in carpentry your whole adult life. You built a whole pub, basically. I did. I did. Yeah. You had to be super excited when I picked this movie. I was. And moving on. And many many other celebrities than our very own Yak Boy have also spent a great deal of their spare time doing carpentry. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. He was actually doing carpentry when he was discovered for Han Solo. Right, yeah. Nick Offerman, right behind Tud. If you're watching us on YouTube, he's got the... Ron Swanson, uh, Pyramid of Greatness behind him. Nick Offerman's got a, a, a woodworking show now, I believe. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, he does that. And even, I didn't know this, Sean Connery, if you can imagine that. Yeah. I can't I can imagine that. I can, I can imagine Sean laying some wood. Uh, indeed. An interview, <laughs> a Rolling Stone interviewer once asked the former 007, he said, so, Mr. Connery, is it true that you take a particular pride in your hobby of carpentry? And he replied, oh, yes, I love talking about my shelf. 
That's wrong. Instead of myself, it's my shelf. <laughs> like you, like you build a shelf. I didn't want to laugh, but damn it, I did. No, I, I I went to a cheap joke because I was thinking about like if I had anything in my personal life that I could bring into a discussion about carpentry to start up the show, I kind of like to bring in personal anecdotes. I know how much you guys like hearing them, uh, and I couldn't think of anything until. My sophomore year of high school, I dated a girl very briefly who was obsessed with carpentry. She was like a big FFA country girl, and she was always building stuff. And finally, it just got kind of annoying. I told her, I was like, you know, what, 16 doctor at that point? Sounds about right. I finally told her, I was like, look, if we're going to go any further with this, you got to make a choice. It's either me or your equipment. That's all she cared about. Yeah, she chose the latter. She bashed <laughs> the head with a two by four, and that was the end of that. She chose the latter. No, I, I, I got it. Yeah. Nah, the ladder. Was it a wood ladder? I don't have any stories about carpentry. Uh, I really should have had Yak Boy open the show. I'm sure you would. You have some hilarious stories about. Do you ever like hammer your finger to a board or step on a board and it smacked you in the face or something like that? No. No. I don't know if that would fall in the category of hilarious, but <laughs> Max, did you ever maim yourself or seriously hurt yourself while doing a carpentry? Tell us a hilarious story. <laughs> I, uh, I'll, I'll admit guys, I, I didn't know how to start this show off and I, I feel like I failed you guys with some bad carpentry jokes and I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do better. Because like a good carpenter, you might not build that birdhouse right this time, but that next birdhouse is gonna be better. Practice makes perfect. That's right. You actually ever build a birdhouse? I'm just yes. going I I'm, I'm just digging us deeper into it just a, <laughs> yeah. a terrible hole. Just, Pull the cord, jump. How about a uh, three-legged stool? You ever build one of those? Nice. No. Uh, so the doctor one time asked me for a stool sample, so I signed up for some carpentry lessons. I never did that. <laughs> but that was fun. <laughs> <sighs> uh, would you say I nailed it? Oh, no. Uh... No, exactly. I t- I actually in junior high took a wood shop all three years. Did you? Yes. I should have had you write the opening to tonight's show. Oh no, it was it was three years of wood shop that made me realize that I was definitely uh, meant to go down a different path. I understand. I understand completely. Well, screw you guys. That that's a carpenter reference. Screw they use screws. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Kind of a one, but. Welcome, everybody. God, you must be on the edge of your seat right now after. <laughs> We're a tantalizing opening. Where are we going from here? Uh, this is the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode one, two, three. 123. Wow, sure enough, yeah. Tonight we begin our legendary, our infamous sixth anniversary March to Halloween, where we treat you to four or five carefully selected horror films to lead you right up until the big day, October 31st. You all ready? Oh, yeah. 
Get that countdown started. Doctor? Happy Halloween, 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 and happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Usually you go Tuesday night, Cigar Club. Tuesday night, Cigar Club. I was put on the spot. I'm sorry. There you go. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> I was also thinking about the time where I got in trouble in Woodshop, and we were just supposed to be varnishing our pencil holder, and I looked at the teacher, and I said, get me the bone shop. I actually once when we moved in this house uh, we were hanging some pictures and I bought one of those stud finders but it just kept beeping every time I put it close to my body yeah no that didn't happen is it too late to switch movies can we go somewhere in a different direction here you totally can (laughs) To varnish his pencil holder, Mr. Sharp, and it's a goddamn Mother's Day present for crying out loud. <laughs> everybody, everybody doing okay? <laughs> doing great. Good, doing good. Yeah, you're all looking festive and, and jovial, and uh, he almost said fit, but he stopped himself. <laughs> uh, we are on YouTube. I, I can only bluff my way through this so much. Uh, okay, well, folks, uh, as you longtime loyal listeners know well into six years of doing this shit what we do for you is we talk our way through a movie because that's what else we're going to talk about while smoking a hour and a half two hour cigar uh so we decided why not talk about a movie while smoking a cigar and why don't we pair that movie and that cigar with a craft beer in the old days we would uh all sit here in the corner of no hope drink the same beer hug Bump, well, we never bump fists. That's stupid. Uh, but we 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 share beers and uh, we'd all drink the same thing. We can't do that anymore thanks to the coronavirus. You giant asshole. So now we're responsible for going out into the wild and getting our own beers. Try to make them work with the cigar and the movie, and then everything else is business as usual. And business is good, my friends. Oh, business has never been better when it comes to drinking beer, smoking cigars, and watching movies. 1.2 million YouTube viewers can't be wrong. No. Yeah, that's just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? 1.2 million. It came across my desk this morning. That is our current total. Thank you all for checking us out. And those numbers just blow anybody else out of the water who talks about cigars and well, not everybody, but most people. Um, and I, I just, it left me all warm and tingly inside. I just love the fact that 1.2 million tune in to see me. I mean, that's a good feeling. I, I think you're a big part of it, Doug. No, I mean, I'm, I'm it. I mean, obviously they want to feast their eyes on some eye candy. Uh, oh God, his headphones flew off. <laughs> Don't. That that didn't work out the way I thought it yeah. would. Were you seeing that as like your Phoebe Cates diving board moment? <laughs> that was kind of yeah. <laughs> no, I did get a boner, so I, I ended up more like Judge Reinhold. <laughs> yeah, it was more like Judge Reinhold getting a boner on a diving board, which <laughs> gives nobody a boner. Lights out, dots moving in stereo. <laughs> Uh, doctor, mess up your hair right now. I want full Rick Ocasek hair from you. Let's do this. Oh, he's been cutting his own hair though. That looks that looks 
that's all I can really do there for you. Yeah, no, that's yeah, right. no, that's all right. Yeah, that's not messed up. Okay. Uh, some of our some of our boys here are still uh, uh, abstaining from the barber shop, and we love them for it. So let's first tonight, Odie. Before we get to the movie, hey. before we get to the cigar, let's talk about the beers. Because we're all drinking something different tonight. Let's see what we did and why we did it. Cody, as always, Yak Boy. He who built O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas, with his bare hands. He who built a hipster helicopter with his bare hands. This guy can build anything. My God, he builds awesome stuff. Well, thank you. But no no birdhouses. Not uh, anytime soon, no. Let's go. You know what? I'm going to go Tut first. What's Tut drinking tonight? Beer. Moving on. What's uh? Okay. What is what beer is he drinking? He is drinking from Thirsty Planet Brewing, located in wonderful Austin, Texas. Dance pants. Dance, Dance pants. pants. Kolsch. Dance pants. Dance, Dance pants. pants. It's got a little little logo of dance dancing pants on the. It's got some white slacks. We do have some white. We do have some white slacks that dance in tonight's movie. So that, that's right. That works. It, okay. It is a Kolsch, like I said, from Thirsty Planet Brewing. Uh, it is 5.6% ABV. Uh, very uh, tw- about 20, 23 IBUs. Very low, typical of most Kolsches. Uh, very high. Uh, you know, m- more towards the malts within the within wow. Kolsch style. Uh, Pilsner, Vienna Malts, um, Thirsty Planet. Uh, they uh, more most notable for their uh, Thirsty Goat Amber or their mm-hmm. Buckethead IPA, which I love the Buckethead. So I have that as well. I have not had a Kolsch beer in a very long time, and I don't think we've ever have we ever had a Kolsch on the show. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, it's kind of weird. I'm pretty sure we've had one when we were all together, but now it's kind of weird now that we're drinking our own separate thing. It's like, oh, yeah, I had one two weeks ago. But yeah, it's it all blends together. Uh, how is it, Todd? Oh, it's very good. I would say this is Kolsch Light. Uh, it's more towards the lager slash Pilsner side, so it's kind of it's a little bit of light. But it's very malty, which is really good. And it's got some nice spice across the top of it. So it's a, it's a flavorful, light Kolsch, so it's not very heavy setting. Uh, I thought that you know, in the Texas heat, it would be nice and refreshing, you know, in the mid 90s. And as soon as we clicked our mics on tonight, we had a cold front come in and the temperatures dropped almost seven degrees. Yeah, we've been bitching for months now just how sweltering hot it is here in central (laughs) Texas. And uh, yeah, we had a little bit of a break with some rain. Oh, now feels great. Uh, Yeah, uh, I'm digging it. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see how that it sounds like. There's actually a little bit going on with that beer. We'll see yeah. how it plays with plays with the cigar. Uh, who's next? Who's next? Yak boy, tell me what the doctor's drinking over there. The good doctor is all about the local buzz. He's the man with his finger on the pulse of the local buzz. He is the man with his finger on a lot of things. Uh, the uh, local buzz is brewed by Four Corners. Brewing out of there in Dallas. 
Texas. It started back in the wonderful year of 2009, so they're just a little over a decade now. All right, it's impressive. It is a golden ale, uh, 5.4% ABV, 20 IBUs, so should be it's uh, the the golden ale blonde style is more they they throw more toward the malts than hops so he's got within that one he's got pale he's got munich he's got rye malts uh but in this instance with the local buzz besides the malts they add in hundreds of pounds of texas wildflower honey no shit no shit so that'll that'll help you out during an allergy season it does. Well, I think the alcohol just destroyed all of the medicinal purposes of the honey. Yes. Uh, you know, I noticed real quick, doctor, before I ask you about the beer, over the last several months, I've noticed that Tut sticks almost exclusively to Austin beers, and you are staying right in your neck of the woods with the Dallas area beers. Bunch of homers. Yeah, wanna wanna support the hey, support the home team, support the home those, brewers. I, I didn't know if it was intentional or not, but I have noticed the doctor's been featuring a lot of Metroplex beers, and uh, Tut's been really sticking close to the capital city. I would uh, have to go ahead and confess that in my case, it has been almost entirely unintentional. Um, it's obviously up here. Um, even though I'm in a suburb, it's about 30 miles north of Dallas. That's what you're going to get in a lot of the liquor stores and grocery stores. So um, I have sampled some other things, but it seems that, yeah, it seems kind of coincidental that on the show I have gone to a lot of uh, Dallas uh, beers, but it's been for the most part unintentional for me. But for the most part, you've liked what you've sampled, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I haven't had anything that tastes like dishwater yet, so that's good. Um, we'll get to my beer in a minute. Uh, local buzz. How's it treating you, doctor? Can you get, can you taste that honey, uh, infusion? You know, I really can't taste a whole lot of honey. It has a nice, uh, clear, um, you know, relatively low alcohol content. Like yeah, I said, 5.4 or 5.3 or whatever it was. Um, it's just a nice, clear ale taste. Nothing really remarkable that jumps out about it. I think kind of like Tut, I was thinking in terms of a beer that would taste good on a 95 degree evening and up here uh, north of Dallas, it is, it is uh, in the low to mid seventies tonight. So yeah, uh, <laughs> nice. Probably would have, would have uh, got with something else had I known that, but uh, yeah, so far so good. It's a, uh, like I said, nothing really remarkable. I can't taste overwhelming honey. Um, nothing really smashing over that as far as wildflowers, but just a good, nice light ale taste. Okay. Okay. Um, and doctor there is a quick scene in tonight's film involving a beehive and some bees boom your score checks out it checks out good work good work god damn it i think i'm gonna have another one yeah well will you grab another one uh yak boy tell us what you're drinking i am having the Bach Slider, Toadies Texas Bach. Okay. From Martin House Brewing. I figured, you know, is is we are talking about a carpenter building a house, Martin House. Wait, our main character, one of our main characters in the film, is named Martin. Ah, and the actor's name is Hauser. Ah. Yeah, that's kind of a stretch, but uh. yeah. 
I'll allow it. Close enough. The uh, Martin House Brewing, uh, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. I'm up in that area. Same. But uh, the, the box slider is 5.6% ABV only and uh, less than 20. It's around 15 IBUs. My God, combined, you guys, all three of you have like 20, 20, 20 IBUs. No hops going on tonight. <laughs> Which, of course, this, is, this beer is a collaboration. They do their box slider. But, as I said, the Toadies, Martin House, a uh, big fan of the Toadies, the band, yes. Oh. So, as is their tagline for this beer, music and beer made in Texas by Texans. I didn't well, realize... I didn't realize the Toadies were Texas band. Apparently they are a favorite in the DFW area. How about that? Okay. I am familiar with the Toadies, but I, I learned something tonight. Okay. Cody, does Fort Worth beer ever cross your mind? It doesn't really. Okay. But I just saw the whole thing with the Martin house and the fact that I had a little skull animal on. I was like, well, that... That kind of fits with what's going on with. There you go. How is the beer? It's actually really good. Yeah. Uh, box, for a box style, um, it's not. Actually, I think I would say, you know, I mean, we when we say Bach beer here, we tend to think of Shiner Bach, but yeah. I like this one. It's actually a little darker in flavor. It, it's it's going more towards having those uh, malts being far more roasted. It's got almost rich. like a stout. A little bit richer. A little bit richer, and so I'm liking that a lot better. I don't okay. know. I think a Shiner would be more like a Bach light yeah. in this instance. You're going to lose some of that crispness when you go when you go darker. Okay. Uh, well, I guess there's only one of us left. What the fuck am I drinking? In these skinny – look at these skinny little cans. It's oh, my goodness. Terrible. I need my glasses to see Long that. Long energy drink. Did you get that at a Starbucks? It, it looks like it looks like a Starbucks can drink. Yeah, what is it, Yak? That is the Meltdown Hazy IPA from Six Point Brewing. Uh, it is a double uh, New England style IPA. Uh, the uh, Six Point Brewing, located in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Brooklyn. Originally- I'm taking it out of Texas, baby. Uh, started back in uh, 2004 in a little town of a little area of Red Hook in Brooklyn. Uh, it is 8% ABV, but because it is a New England style, not a West Coast, they rate it at about 30, 35 IBUs. That, and that's that's fair. It's it's not hoppy at all. And I didn't Which realize it's really weird because they I was reading it because I was not familiar. I have had seen six point, but I did not know the meltdown. And they I, I was writing down the stats and then I like, you know, I, I read through what they how do they describe it. And they said it's loaded up with enough dry hops to melt your face. Well, that and if you read the thing, they actually melt the hops down to like a, a syrup. Right. Like. Yeah. But I was like, if that's. Not melting your face if it's only 30 IBUs when it's all said and done. No, it makes no sense. Um, well, apparently they do. They actually melt. They take the hops and actually melt them down to to like a, a, a liquid. Um, 
and it, it's it's kind of it sounds like a unique process, but one, I'm not a fan of New England IPAs. Two, I'm not a fan of hazy IPAs. I had no idea I was getting the double whammy of <laughs> stuff I didn't like tonight. But I will say this. Well, one, I picked it, of course, because our main character is experiencing a total meltdown uh, from the first scene of also, the film. My grandmother was born in Brooklyn and grew up there. Brooklyn. Grandma Keener. Yes. Wonderful person. Very wonderful person. New, uh, um, new Jackie Gleason when he was a teenage boy. He was in the same neighborhood. Really? Yes. There okay. you go. Um, well, I will say this. For not necessarily liking New England, the less the which are less hoppy than the West Coast by a, by a long shot. And a, you're a funny man. How well did your grandmother know Jackie Gleason as a teenage boy? Uh, well, let's not disrespect my grandmother, but uh, her sister, my great aunt Florence, dated Jackie Gleason when they were teenagers, according to my mother. My mother wasn't around then, but my she said that my grandmother would say that she remembered Jackie Gleason. This is in my grandmother passed away in the year 2000, and she was 87 then. So that's letting you know the timetable. But like, so in like the 1930s when they were teenagers, my grandmother's sister, my great aunt, she said dated him uh, when they were teenagers in a neighborhood called Canarsie in Brooklyn, and she said that he was a young, good-looking, thin man back hmm. then. Hmm. We call you the Thin Man. I was just about to say. I, I just I, I heard that and I was like, I bet you there's some family lore there, and I'm gonna dig into this a little bit. I'm gonna get some more local buzz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I was gonna say is I uh, I I don't care for the the less hoppy New England IPAs and and the the, the onslaught we've got recently of hazy everywhere you look it's a hazy IPA. I oh, know. Uh, this one. I was worried with the first pour, it tasted a little, because with those hazies, sometimes it could kind of have like that, yeah, well, you know that's like soapy kind of I do taste you get from it, but this one really bounced it well out with some citrus, and it's got a great aroma, and even though the hops are, you know, sub-40 uh, IBUs, it's, it's actually a very, very enjoyable beer. Uh, it does have that little bit of hazy soapiness on the very front end, but it's on the back end. It's actually a, it's it's nice. I'm enjoying it, and it and it certainly won't uh, interfere with anything the cigars got going on. Speaking of cigars, tonight's cigar. Are you boys ready? Yes, yes. Tonight's cigar is the Death Bucket. From, by Room 101. It is, it is a 6x52 Toro. Hold it up here to the screen. Uh, these are limited in quality. I'll get to that later. It is an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, Dominican binder, and Nicaraguan filler. Uh, very earthy on the wrapper. And a lot of sweetness. Smell that foot, Yax. A lot of sweetness coming off that foot. Um... Price point, I will save till the end, as always, but I'll tell you a little bit about the cigar. Not much is known about it. If you jump back a few months ago to episode 115, when we interviewed Room 101's Matt Booth, and we covered quite a lot of ground with him, that's the understatement of the century, uh, I, I still say it's our best interview we've ever done on the show. 
Tut, agree? Agreed. Uh, one thing we touched upon was his brief retirement, I'll use quote fingers there, from the cigar industry back in 2017, an event that turns out had nothing to do with him retiring at all, but rather the way he chose to delicately handle his divorce from working exclusively with Davidoff, who'd been manufacturing his manufacturing partner since Room 101 burst on the scene. Upon his return back to the premium cigar universe just a few months later, and he told us he'd never retired. He just went down to Latin America and started experimenting with these beautiful leaves that we love. And this cigar was one of those he created during that time. Um, One of the first cigars Booth blended is the cigar we're smoking, the Death Bucket. He claims, Matt Booth claims the cigar itself has no name, though it's commonly referred to as the Room 101 Death Bucket. It features a KFC-style bucket, oh. of, like you would see with chicken, with the Room 101 uh, branding, but it's got some skulls and bones inside of it, and then there's just a bunch of little chicken wings on the back. Chicken legs. Chicken legs on the, on the back. Drumsticks. Uh, Matt always is very creative with his his labeling originally there were 7,500 cigars made which were sent to a group of stores in august of 2018 but booth later made another 10,000 death buckets that were released to stores earlier this year um i will tell you wait on bated breath i will tell you what store we got these from in just a little bit i want to know if it's going to have any sort of fried chicken uh motif boy that'd be something I don't know. I'm just getting a lot of sweetness off the cold draw uh, and earthiness on the thing. Tut, you've actually lit up. What are you getting? Uh, nice soft spice on the retro hill. It's very, very subdued. Uh, the aroma's great. Yeah, dare I say I'm tasting actual fried chicken? No. <laughs> Well, we did have Wings Hauser in the night's movie. And tempting <laughs> notes of a secret blend of herbs and spices. 13, perhaps. Man, that smell is beautiful. Yeah, the aroma is the best I've smelled from a cigar in a long time. Uh, and, Doctor, I never considered when pairing these three things tonight that we're smoking a death bucket cigar based on the KFC bucket of chicken and our movie stars wings Hauser. Well done, sir. Just this cigar just takes me back to a Southern fried shack of. Yeah, it's very subdued. Uh, there, there is a little tingle on the nose. Just slight, just slight. Nice little, nice little. It's muted. Spicy man. there. Uh, it, it's a muted kind of uh, white pepper on the nose, and man, I, I I'm getting nothing but a, a light chocolate and leather on the on the draw. I had a really, really strong leather on the cold draw. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting. But as soon as I lit up, that that's kind of gone. That little, that hint of spice on the initial 
just a touch of that sweetness. It's there. It's there on the nose, the spice, and, and there is still a little bit of that sweetness in there. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm getting just a really faint milk chocolate and, and just leather on the on the draw. I could see the leather. I'm definitely not getting the milk chocolate. Okay. Well, I, I literally just lit up. So did Yak Boy. So I'm going to come back to it once I introduce the movie. <clears throat> Which. Yeah. It's a hell of a movie. Tonight's film, The Carpenter. Our first film in our March, sixth annual March to Halloween is 1982's The Carpenter. This is a film that I saw mm-hmm. growing up. What's 88. that? 88. I'm sorry. Yes, it is a. What did I say? A2? It, I'm still I'm still in silent rage uh, mindset here. Yes, uh, 1988's The Carpenter. This is a film that I saw the video box of growing up in the video store with Wingshauser with that power drill. And for whatever reason, I never watched this movie till uh, leading up to the show. Um, but it but it had one of those iconic kind of crazy video VHS boxes in the store. I recognize that too, and, and I'm in the same boat as you are. I, I remembered it as soon as I saw uh, the what, what would have been the box art for it. I was like, man, I remember seeing that in video stores, but also never rented it. Um, well, you know, guys, carpenters are a profession as old as mankind itself in one form or another. As long as people have been around, people have needed other people to build them things. Do y'all know, uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier in the pre-show, do y'all know who the first carpenter mentioned in the Bible was? Jesus. Noah. Both wrong answers. Adam. It would actually be Eve. You're close. It was Eve. Uh, She made Adam's hot dog stand. Write that down in my notes. Tuck got it. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I was holding out. I was trying not to laugh, not giving the satisfaction. No, I, I got it. <laughs> Let there be no mistake about that. I... Written by Doug Taylor and directed by first-time feature film director David Wellington who specifically mentions on his personal website that 1993's Man in Uniform was his first feature film. Oh, wow. But he's kind of lying there because this this was his first feature film. No, 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 no. Man in Uniform. Man yeah, in Uniform was it. He's fibbing. He's fibbing. This movie exists. I've seen it. <laughs> Out there. It's, it's everywhere. It's, I don't know what you're talking about. It's, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna file that I'm gonna file that away for later. Maybe if we run into Doug David Wellington, we'd be like, hey, you know, it looks like you need some work over there. Perhaps a carpenter needs to be called. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't know what a car. I don't know what a carpenter. Is. Hey, do you know where we can get some wings around here? I don't know what wings are. I don't I don't know what you're talking about. He's actually gone on to to direct a lot of stuff, uh, but yeah. Um, I thought I found that odd that he specifically skipped over this one to kick things off or maybe not. I was about to say, <laughs> if we're, if we're featuring it, maybe not to kick things off before the opening credits, we're treated to a slow motion shot of a circular saw swooping down on a two by four, cutting into it with sawdust swirling all around. 
Well, synth musical score thumps. Yaks, this had to give you a giant-ass boner as a guy that cuts and a lot glitter. of glitter. Well, I was, like, interested, like, okay, so are they going to show, like, oh, it says the carpenter, so I'm like, all right, so they're going to show, like, a whole series of action shots while the credits roll of people performing. Co- no, just, just the one thing, just going over it, just, like, for 15 minutes? Come on, guys. <laughs> but you, you were sporting wood. Well, who doesn't like power tools? Nobody, that's who. Who doesn't like that sound? To a synth score. Well, after the simplistic red text on black background credits roll, uh, the music turns softer as we join the uniquely attractive Alice Jarrett, who's come home from work. Apt turn. She kicks off her high heels, lies down on the bed for a minute. Then she calmly gets up and removes one of her husband's suits from the closet. She carefully lays it down the bed and proceeds to cut it up into ribbons very calculatingly with a pair of scissors. The whole suit just takes a pair of scissors to it. When her hubby, Martin, walks in the bedroom and sees the smiling Alice crouched over her handiwork, uh, hi, honey, rough day? She smiles. Indeed, it was a rough day, as apparently Alice is suffering from a meltdown of sorts, much like my meltdown hazy New England-style beer. <laughs> Yes, oh. Al- Alice has had a mental breakdown, and next thing we know, she's been committed to an insane asylum. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you should drink alcohol. It keeps you out of the insane asylum. Yeah, you get drunk, you're not going to have the gumption to do anything. Yeah, much less the coordination to actually cut things up. I didn't think what she did was all bad. I'm like, man, as far as as far as, crazy as far as far as locker in an insane asylum for a year, I thought that was a. Uh, that was, that was a little much. Rush to judgment. Rush to judgment. Um, I don't want to go into any details, but I've smelled crazier. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Alice's roommate at the asylum rolls around in her bed next to her, quoting the lyrics to the Amy Stewart song, Knock on Wood, over and over again. It's like thunder and lightning. The way you love me is frightening. I better knock. My God, do you ever shut up? Surprisingly, Alice's uh, roommate and her obsessive compulsive wackadoodleness. I have a psychology degree. That's an actual term. uh, Wackadoodleness doesn't seem to bother Alice that much. She's grown used to it. But her spouse, Martin, who's dropped in for a visit, he doesn't have Alice's patience. Like Tud says, God, does she ever shut up? And Alice is like, no, actually, she doesn't. When Alice swears to Martin that she's better now and she'd like to go home, he dryly says no, because he can't afford the suits. Man, this is a loving husband. She apologizes for the cutting up his suit, but he just wants to get the fuck out of there. When the nurse comes by to give Alice her noontime meds, Martin gets ready to bolt for the door. He's got places to go, but she guilts him into sticking around until the drugs knock her out in a few minutes. Well, I just thought, you know, you're going to be asleep in a few minutes anyway. All right, if you want me to stay, I guess. Dude, asshole. Dude, they're laying the groundwork for what an asshole this guy will be, and he's a real big asshole. Once Alice is asleep, Martin hightails it out to the countryside where he seals the deal on purchasing a new country home for them. 
Then comes a crazy montage. And this movie has a lot of crazy montages. Where we see Alice screaming out in the asylum courtyard as she's tackled by orderlies. Then suddenly she's told by nurses and Martin that she's being set free. And then in a dream sequence, her insane sanitarium doctor visits her in the middle of the night, tells her he's going to set her free before cranking up a chainsaw and cutting her wrist restraints loose. This is how crazy they thought she was. She was like strapped to where her arms were like held above her head. I had to I had to actually rewind this sequence because oh, I was like, what no, the hell is going on? You stop doing that after a while. I've noticed like the first time I watched this movie, I rewound it a lot. Like oh, I must have missed something. But then no, you didn't. The <laughs> sequence. The next morning, that crazy ass doctor, Doctor Flanders, escorts Alice and Martin out to the parking lot. He advises Alice to stay. This this old doctor with this mustache is fucking classic. He tells her, "Stay at home as as much as possible and just relax." I am relaxed, she says. Well, get more relaxed. And he laughs like. Doctor, can you even do that laugh? Oh, my God. Well, I'll try. Uh, he's at least 10 years past retirement age. Yeah. Oh, relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't think that was very no, It starts off subtle. And he says, a house in the country is just what you need to get firmly on your feet. I am firmly on my feet. Well, get more firmly on your feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's That was too dry. This, okay. I'll you, obviously, but... This this old coot was crazy. Well, you have to be crazy to work in a place like that. <laughs> <laughs> Alice and Martin pull up to the old but very impressive country estate, and Alice is impressed. She thinks it's beautiful. Martin introduces her to Barry Farnsworth, the contractor who looks like his name is Barry Farnsworth, and he's... And he's responsible for the team of goofballs working to fix up the house. As they walk around inside, white sheets cover most of the furniture and the fixtures. Martin says repeatedly that it's a hell of a place. It's a hell of a place. It's a hell of a place. He says it like five times, and he also jokes he had to sell his soul to get this place. Little does he know how right he was. Am I right, boys? And It's a hell of a place. Other than the food of the gods 10-foot beehive hanging from the front porch that for some reason Farnsworth's boys haven't removed, probably because <laughs> they're all incompetent nun-nuts, yeah, the, house, the, work ethic. the house seems relatively normal. Oh, and by the, the way, that giant fucking beehive that she sees and the swarming bees never comes into play at any other point in the I was film. about to say, the only thing that I can think of for the reason why that beehive's there is just, one, it's just a classic horror trope. And then two, um, what was it? It was the Exorcist two or whatever. They I know. Am- beehive, no, Amityville. Am- Amityville. Yeah, they had the beehive scene, and that was the only thing I could think of is that they were trying to play with that imagery a little bit. Well, that's but what yeah, I think. It, it never goes back. That's what I figured. But you know what? The more the more I watch this movie, it's filled with shit like that. We're like, oh, that's gonna be no. They never go back. They never revisit anything in this movie, and you're like. Oh, I bet that's laying the groundwork. Nope. That's some, that's some foreshadowing. Yeah. Nope. nope. In a real-life scene, I can totally picture those four guys having a 45-minute smoke break while they debate which one of them is going to take care of the beehive and then decide to just leave it there. <laughs> Pretty much. 
It probably would have ended up with Farnsworth that like land on his head and he's like running around. <laughs> um, speaking of those incompetent numb nuts, seriously, it's like Martin hired the Tuesday Night Cigar Club to remodel this house. I mean, these guys are well without Cody's guidance. Without Cody's carpet. actually, no, Cody would be the one competent, you know, foreman who just got bad enough to actually bring us along. Well, we cut outside to Farnsworth asking the goobers to help him move some scaffolding, and they just blow him off. He's literally, he's their boss, and he's begging them to get back to work as they're making him look bad, but they just laugh at him and light up another smoke, TNCC style. (laughs) You know what's always a treat to light up, fellas? What's that? I'm glad you asked, Tut. That's right, I'm talking about the highly complex, masterfully blended Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar from Drew Estate. The Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is a cigar is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Gran Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes its expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes or bundles of tobacco for you listeners uh, who've never been to Cigar Safari. Am I right, Yanks? Which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water is then added while mince pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks. The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is now available at brick-and-mortar Drew Diplomat retailers Everywhere. Find one. You won't regret it. Speaking of cigars, Tut, how's that one seen? How's the death bucket treating you? I don't regret it. Uh, like man, it? this is like a subtlety type thing. There is... Uh, man, I don't know... I'm trying to think about how to say this delicately because I do like Matt and Booth. But, man, I'm, I'm fighting to find flavors on the palate. Now the interesting thing is the the retro hell it's Take got that. that it's got that subtle uh, spice in there and then there's a flavor that's kind of introduced that I'm I'm searching for it's delicious but I can't nail it it's it's I, like a it's a little bit of that cocoa uh, <laughs> can't nail it <laughs> uh, it's yeah. a little bit it's a little bit of that cocoa or chocolate but it's it's there's something there's something interesting on this on this retro ale that's delicious on a retro ale, which normally doesn't happen to me. I told you uh, I was getting chocolate, buddy. Uh, there is that chocolate that I got on the draw is infiltrating the retro hail along with that pepper. And the strength is picking up uh, in the end of the first third through the nose, too. It's getting a little bit stronger. Um, through the through the draw, I'm still getting just a tinge of that chocolate, although it's also on the nose, and that leather uh, that leather component is kind of the rule in the roost there. That's really weird because I am missing out on that leather. I don't know if the if the Kolsch is masking it or not. So no bucket of chicken from anyone? I'm not getting any, uh, any chicken, which is weird because you know what? When we smoked originally the original uh, Underground Sun Grown, I got the weirdest flavor I've ever gotten out of a cigar, which was the little the little bucket parfaits that Kentucky fried chicken used to smell with the graham cracker and the whipped cream. And like, I love those things and they quit selling them. And I was like, Holy shit. I just got that in this cigar. Um, 
Yak Boy, are you getting ma mashed potatoes and brown gravy in the cigar? That chocolate that you mentioned is just there right now in the background. It's just very subtle but tasty. You mentioned, you know, the the graham, and I'm getting that sweetness for me has kind of started to go towards graham sweetness. So it's the chocolate in, in, a, in, a, in a slight graham sweetness. But that, that really prevalent leather that I got in the cold draw, I mean, literally, that's all I tasted. I thought I'd get maybe something, some hay or something else. Nothing. It was just straight leather. Well, you know, it's funny. I posted a, a pic of the cigar on my Insta stories before the show, and uh, the Room 101 Shadow Army, which is kind of uh, all things Room 101 in that booth, they commented, because I mentioned it was our March to Halloween, they're like, it's not a scary cigar, but I like we like what you're doing here. It's not a scary cigar. Um, it's actually, um, strength-wise, it's building for me. Um, but, yeah, that leather and that, that chocolate and that chocolate also showing up on the, on the nose a little bit. Um, yeah, it's, it's a surprisingly. It's a very approachable cigar. I'd say with a name like Death Bucket, I'm surprised, but he didn't. Yeah. Apparently he didn't name it Death Bucket. That's a name someone else gave it or what we all call it. So you can't really judge it. And it also has drumsticks on the back. So how scary can it be? Well, I mean, it's like, you know, you hear something, this, you know, you expect like some sort of, this is the death bucket. Oh, that sounds scary. It's got to be strong as hell. What's on the band? Oh, it's, a, it's a bucket of chicken with some chicken wings. And, uh, <laughs> huh? No, it's got skull and bones. It's got some skulls and bones. And, and, I, and I will admit, on the, wings. on the back end of the palate, I am getting mashed potatoes with brown gravy. But that could just be the beer influencing that. Really go for some wings right about now. <laughs> Me too. Was there a twenty? Some, mix in some mac and cheese in there. Is there a twenty-four-seven KFC around here? Slop it up with a big. If I had some, like some buttermilk biscuit, delicious. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. My my beer is not. I don't feel like it's uh, interfering with the cigar at all. You guys? I kind of do. I, I I think that the malt and spice of the beer is kind of pushing that leather out of the way. Your, or your at least beer, your or beer maybe it's a, masking it. Your beer had a lot going on in that description, so yeah, most most cultures kind of do have a little bit of that flavor stuff going on. They got the flavors, all of the flavors. It's beautiful flavors, the best. Flavor. Uh, and I think that that might be because it's kind of resembling that leather, so I think it's either masking it or just kind of moving it out of the way. It's not okay. doing anything to the to the retro hell apparently, which is good because that retro hell is just it's a very very nice retro hell. It is a great retro hailing cigar, um, which to you new listeners, new cigar smokers, that is retro hailing is when you blow the smoke out of through your nose. Uh, it is a sensory organ. You do pick up a lot through the nose that you don't otherwise get. If you don't believe me, just try eating a hamburger holding your nose. You won't taste a thing. Nose is important. As Toucan Sam said, it's always nose. It always knows. Uh, okay, let's get back to the movie. Uh, and, Doctor, you are enjoying your uh, beer still? It's, it's uh, doing the trick. Nothing doing the trick. Okay. Nothing about it, but it's a, it's a nice, tasty, cold beer. Okay. 
That night, as they get ready for bed, Martin highly encourages Alice to take her prescribed tranquilizers, but she doesn't feel like she needs them, unlike Martin, who gobbles down a handful. But perhaps she should have listened to her hubby, as several hours later, she's awakened in the middle of the night by the sound of a handsaw scraping back and forth. She tries to wake up Martin, but he's zonked out, so she ventures downstairs and follows the sounds of the handsaw into the basement. What she finds down there, or rather who she finds down there, is a carpenter hammering some nails into a newly installed wooden wall. The clean-cut gentleman is very polite, eerily polite in an old-fashioned type way. And when she asks him what he's doing down here, he smiles and responds, Just getting the job done, ma'am. Doctor, if you don't mind, would you tell us a little bit about the cinematic badass who's playing the carpenter? That would be the one and only Wingshauser, who, uh, for a lot of people, he's just going to be a memorable face. Uh, in the 80s, primarily, and the 90s, he starred in a lot of uh, B-action movies, but yeah. primarily where people are going to recognize him from is this guy would be involved in a story arc on just about every kick-ass show that was on TV in the 80s. He was on the A-Team, Airwolf, Hunter, uh, even did a, <laughs> in the 90s, a very, very memorable stint in probably the best season of the original Beverly Hills 90210, the 94-95 season, as a private detective, J.J. Jones, who was a friend that was hired by Dylan McKay. He's the one who got Dylan his money back when the the scammers, the grifters, stole uh, Dylan's millions. Wingshauser worked with Tiffany Amber Thiessen to grift them and get the money back. One of the best 902, in my opinion, it's the best season ever and one of the best episodes ever because you got Hauser as J.J. Jones, the hard-drinking private eye, and for that entire episode... Uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen's walking around in a sarong and a, and a bikini, and my God. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sounds just terrible. No, it's fantastic. Yeah. Which episode? Hardcastle and McCormick? Dude, I left out Hardcastle and McCormick. I was in an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. No surprise there. <laughs> and no, one no, of my I, favorite terrible sequel B movies. Beastmaster 2, he played the bad guy, Arklaw. Uh I didn't know that about Beastmaster. Where I fell in love with Wingshauser uh, as a young man, there was a wonderful late-night documentary uh, called Terror in the Isles that showcased clips from all of the great 70s, even 60s, 70s, and 80s horror movies up to that point. It was hosted by Donald Pleasance and Nancy Allen. And they showed clips from this movie called Vice Squad, where Wingshauser played this psychotic, crazy pimp who, when his bitches tried to betray him, he went ballistic and just total psycho. And I was like, I got to see this movie. I got to see it. And when you actually see Vice Squad, you see there's a lot more than just the, the insane stuff that you saw in Terror in the Isles. Wings has a charisma about him, and I think it's more of a physicality. Just that 
he's just he was gifted with a, a, a glimmer in his eye that the screen likes, that the camera likes. And I've just always been enamored with this dude. Also, we should point out, um, I think everything you just said about that is spot on. Just uh, he's got such a great look to him. Uh, Wings is obviously not his real first name, but he played the position of wing back as a high school football player. And so that's where Wings, he took up that name apparently in his high school huh. football playing days and that stuck with him. That's okay. where the from and of course we would be remiss we've discussed his career he is the father of one cole hauser who uh big tall redheaded guy who we will remember uh, uh dazing infused his first role as benny one of the one of the guys oh. paddle yeah yeah I, know. I, I think he was in one of the fast and furious movies and uh, also uh, later in his career became a, a pal of Bruce Willis's and was in uh, Tears of the Sun. He had a small role in the last Die Hard movie. Uh, yeah. He may have another movie or two with, with Willis. He, uh, he had a starring role in a really cool sci-fi flick called Pitch Black with Vin Diesel. He was the bounty hunter who was supposed to capture Vin Diesel. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that's, recognizing. yeah, that's Cole Hauser. Well, it's Cole Hauser. That's his son. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's on a very, he's on a very popular TV show now with Kevin Costner called Yellowstone. Yeah, I've seen clips of him in there. Which every, which every middle-aged to elderly woman in Texas uh, drools over. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he he's a. You had uh, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and uh, Ben Affleck's little brother Casey Affleck, and the fourth guy was Cole Hauser that was in their their crew. Um, yeah, he's a really, really talented actor in his own right. And he's married to one of those Sweet Valley High twins. So that's, yes. that's her, her sister, whatever there. Um, so anyway, yes, Wingshauser rocks. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, do you have any idea what time it is? Alice asked the carpenter. Well, a job ain't done till it's done, huh? He says with a twinkle in his eye. A rat squeaks from behind her, and the carpenter blasts it with a nail gun. He apologizes for startling her, as he'd rather use a hammer on the vermin, but the nail gun really gets the job done more efficiently. And he promises to set some more traditional mousetraps out soon. She asks him if he has to work, do all this work now in the middle of the night, and he says, well, it ain't, it. Well, it ain't done, and yeah, it's got to get done, so... And Alice understands. At least somebody's working around here, she says. Have you seen these? <laughs> Have you seen the TNCC out there? It's horrible. <laughs> it's terrible. And she goes back to bed. The next morning at breakfast, Alice doesn't say a word to her distant husband, Martin, about the carpenter she encountered hours earlier. Instead, she asks him for some money to go shopping for wallpaper, but he says, we got all the time in the world for that. I'm late enough. And he totally blows her off. As Alice walks around the crew of quote fingers, workers outside. She hears them grumbling about the basement getting done overnight. And they think Farnsworth is either bringing in non-union scabs or college students after hours to save money and pick up their slack. One of the mulleted workers, Roland, and they're all heavily mulleted workers. I was about to say, which one? Seems to have taken a particular interest in Alice as he, he kind of tries to smooth talk her. Later on, we jump into Martin's office at the nearby college. He's a college professor. 
where he's explaining to Alice on the phone that he has some late night meetings and he doesn't know when he'll be home exactly. But when we join him in his classroom lecturing on the mythology of Paul Bunyan and how Paul Bunyan's masculinity fit into the male stereotypes of the times, there's a buxom blonde, buxom blonde college student giving him the googly eyes, and it doesn't take a genius, am I right, to realize that his light, late night meeting is sex. It's, he's going to meet her for sex. He's going to lay some wood of his own, Carpenter style. Inappropriate wood. Very, very, very inappropriate word. Doctor, wasn't that the name of a jazz trio you performed in in uh, Denton, Texas, in the late '90s? Inappropriate wood. I don't really like to talk about the IW days too much, but uh, yeah, I mean, I that was before I really knew what my career path was. Yeah, inappropriate wood. We played a few shows. I thought you guys were good. I still like yeah. the. TNCC is the guys working there. Like, well, that guy Cody seems to know what he's doing, but I came out there to give some lemonade, and Tut was passed out drunk on an anthill, and those other two dipshits were off smoking cigarettes in the tree. Hey, Cody, the Tuesday you- Night Carpentry Club is about getting the job done. What is the job? I said we're getting the job done. The only thing is, we would have not been mad if we showed up the next day and somebody else had done all the work. We'd be like, <laughs> all right. Oh yeah, they're all they're all indignant about it. What the hell? Yeah, I guess we're we upset can... because they were going to stretch this job out. That's a that was at least another two days of work. I guess we work. can off and smoke more cigarettes. <laughs> exactly. Andy Ackboy, you heard the doctor. You get a job based on your skills and qualifications. You got to bring us all along. <laughs> all right. I and is promise... this true? They're here for moral support. If I get a job based on my skills and qualifications, I'll bring you guys along. I promise to work to the best of my skills and qualifications. I'm still trying to figure out what my skills and qualifications are. Um, well, as Martin tells his uh, students that Paul Bunyan was a woodcutter and how that at the time was associated with robust masculinity. Yeah, but he ta- was a lumberjack. It wasn't like he was sitting there... Well, I'm taking away from this that maybe we're getting a not-so-subtle screenwriting message about our basement-dwelling carpenter and how his masculinity... But then I was like, oh, wait. I'm reading way too much into this Paul Bunyan speech. (laughs) Yeah, because I was doing the same thing. I was like, obviously, she is manifesting this masculine, virile guy in her basement. You know, uh, her husband is growing distant, so... Here comes this manifestation to take care of her and take, fixes up that's, the house. That's where I was going, Tut. And you know what? Now that you put it that way, I was right. Of course I'm right. Yeah, What's, I mean, well, you do have a degree in psychology. What's the well, director's name that, that won't acknowledge this movie? Wellington? Yeah, Wellington. He's all sitting there watching this podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to... No, yeah, that's what I did. That's what I did. I had all kinds of Freudian stuff going on oh, in you here. You know what? These guys make it sound pretty good. I'm going to start acknowledging this film. Start telling people I actually did this. Yeah, man, I had all kind of. Look, this isn't crazy. I had a bunch of drunk dudes down in Texas pick up yeah. on the same thing. He's gonna call me up like, "Hey, can you back me up on this? Who are you? <laughs> what What are you talking about? Talked about my show last night. Fuck off. Fuck off. Get this number. Why do you keep calling me? Well, 
I was right about that, and I was also right about that sex, because right after class is dismissed, Martin dismisses his underpants in the girl's dorm room and grunts his way on top of her as he, I guess, pleasures her. This, this was the opposite of the lovemaking from uh, Blown Away when I sing the Yvonne Murray song. This was not a... This was, this was... Man, doctor, <laughs> doctor... Doctor, I get why a girl would become infatuated with an engaging older college professor, but not this fucking plank. Am I right? Oh, dude, he looks like Griffin Dunn's long-lost brother, man. Come on. Hey, man. She's... Failing the class, and she's solving that problem. There you go. She is entrepreneurial. All right, we'll we'll go. So with that. right now she just For went that. from a D minus to an A plus plus. Well, I mean, let's be real. It's probably going to be a B. They he were. Still has they, his, his, he has his integrity to keep that. He yeah, does. yeah, boy, they were at least at least Bs. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> hey, he's got a lot of influence. He makes a lot of money. He just bought this big old house out in the country. Yeah, you know, apparently, uh, work to stand around smoking cigarettes. He's, apparently, apparently, he's doing quite well for himself. Uh, back in town at the local tavern, Roland, that that one Molita guy pointed out amongst the sea of Molita guys. Uh, he's got, that guy's got a feathered, tapered, oh, impressive mullet. It's beautiful. It actually is the best mullet in the, on this in this movie. It is. It is. Uh, that's saying something due to the quantity, but this was quality. He's telling the other construction workers, I say workers again in quotes, that Alice is a real class act compared to the skanks they're bragging about banging. And in fact, he's heading over there right now to show her a good time as he's feeling especially sensitive tonight. Did y'all recognize the actor playing Roland? I thought I did, but I don't know. I thought immediately this guy has to be another Estevez brother. He reminded me so much just in his voice of Emilio. Huh. And I was like, I guess they had like a low tier, like third brother that we just never really learned about. <laughs> the uh, dead brother. But no, he's not an Estevez. And y'all probably like me recognized him, in fact, from the 1990 MacGyver episode, Hearts of Steel, where he played the character Malensky. Because yeah, that's five, maybe not. That's the only thing we would have ever seen this uh, this guy show. Connection, yeah. although it doesn't surprise me that he was in a 1990 TV show. And it doesn't surprise me that his character name was Malensky. <laughs> well, where else was that mullet going to get him work? MacGyver, of course. This is a Canadian production, so a lot of these actors just worked in Canadian TV. Moving forward. Um, but anyway, Roland downs his beer and heads out for his big date with Alice as the guys laugh at him and don't believe a word of the bullshit he's shoveling. Hey, at least he's shoveling something for once. The only thing he's shoveling. <laughs> he gets paid eight hours a day to shovel. He doesn't do shit. <laughs> Back at the Jarrett's country home, Roland chugs his beer outside and tosses it down, shattering it on the ground. He'll clean oh, up that... He'll oh, clean up... He'll clean up that mess tomorrow, but probably not. Always a great first step in a courtship. Yeah. Girl's house, chug a beer, smash it in the yard, go knock on the door. Cade style. Oh, wait. It's my job to sweep up this shit. Nah, I don't do my job anyway, so I guess it's okay. 
He barges his way in the house with a bottle of cheap champagne. He overheard Alice's phone call with Martin earlier, so he knows that Martin's working late and she's alone. He wastes zero time with pretense. He's a grade A asswipe that's only there to rape her. Let's call it how it is. But as he pounces on top of Alice on the couch, despite her pleas to stop, the only thing that gets him to stop is the sound of hammering coming down from the basement. Roland figures it's some of those dumbass college kids that Farnsworth is paying peanuts to working after hours for him. So he stumbles off drunk to kick their asses. But when he reaches the basement door, the carpenter emerges with his trusty buzzsaw and he informs Roland that he's not, he's just going to have to learn to keep his hands to himself. As he saws off both of Roland's arms with the buzzsaw. First first of all, how do you learn to keep your hands to yourself? If I'm cutting off your hands. (laughs) Second of all, second of all, it's a terrible special effect. As you can clearly tell, the actor playing Roland has his real arms strapped down under his shirt, tucked down to his sides to make room for the fake arms, and the execution of the stunt is even made worse by the fact that Roland doesn't mutter a single scream (laughs) as his arms are being lopped off. I'm glad I wasn't the only one to pick that up. He just looks at at him. Uh, I thought his arms were maybe tied up like this and like a Dracula thing under the front of his chest. It looked He had this bulbous shirt on all of a sudden and no arms. I was like, man, he went into shock super fast if he's he not under He doesn't scream <laughs> once as his both his arms are being severed from his body. Alice just stands there watching it. She's indifferent and cold to the bloody scene unfolding in front of her. Well, she was hey, about to get raped. Hey, this guy's about to rape her. The carpenter tells her she best get off the bed. He'll manage things just fine from here with a twinkle in his eye. And again, her manifestation is protecting her. And with a smile and a reassuring wink from the carpenter, Alice does just that. She goes back to bed. When a disheveled Martin arrives home hours later, he finds a drop of blood on the floor and the open champagne bottle on the coffee table. But he doesn't. This is a reoccurring thing. He doesn't question anything, really, as the bloody mess from Roland's death has... The carpenter's already cleaned that up. And here's the thing that fascinates me most about this movie. Well, there's a lot of things that fascinate me about this movie. But here's one of the things. Nobody questions anything out of the norm at any point in this movie. Alice doesn't question the carpenter at any point. Martin doesn't question any of the weird shit that he sees in the house at any point. All right, he's got hot college chick ass on his brain. I can give him a pass there. But still, that tracks. It's like this movie was made by people who not only never made a film before, but they never really watched films before. And it stars actors who clearly have never really acted before or even watched actors acting in movies before. It's such a weird thing as a whole. And I'll be honest with you, boys. I found it captivating. I actually... I guess I gave everything way too much credit because I, I was actually working on something uh, and I just had this in the background and then it got to about this point and I was like, all right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to shut everything down. I'm going to go out to the back of the deck. And uh, I was like, this is actually a good movie. I was like, I'm, I'm curious. I want to see what's going on. And uh, cause in my mind, it was all a manifestation. That's the reason why nobody's, said anything about the blood is that you know 
in my mind, I'm like, could it be inside of her head? I mean, this is all happening inside of her head. That's what I was thinking that they were kind of wanting you to believe. And so that, to me, that explained a lot of the oddities that were going on. The guy not screaming, the guy, you know, the the carpenter type stuff. We're going to get to that, Tut. How much of this, as a viewer, do you view as her her POV? This is just what's in her dreams or in her head? Mm-hmm. How much is really happening? We get to that very, very soon. So hang in there. Yeah. I will talk to you about you having this on in the background as you watch the Cubs game later because that's unacceptable. I had work. I had work. If I'm going to spend three days writing up 2,400 words of notes on this fucking film, you can can give it an hour and a half and watch the damn thing. (laughs) I did. Uh Much like our mulleted crew, he put the work in. Yeah, you 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 put in a Roland's day work on this thing. Go on tight. You need to work on that hair. Get get that Tennessee top hat flowing. <laughs> Doctor, did you have the Rangers game on when you're watching this thing? Uh, no, I I gave it a good uh, I gave it the good hour and twenty seven minutes running time that it deserved. It's not that long. It's not that long. Uh... <laughs> Should I turn the Cubs game off now? Please. I'm still, I'm still thinking that Wellington <laughs> just went from going, man, I can go with this whole Freudian element. Then he just heard all this, and he's so conflicted. He's like, God, they just said it's so confusing, and nothing makes sense, but they liked it. I'm just so confused. I don't know whether to do But the to Abe me, Wellington. Listen to me, Wellington. But the Don Imus looking guy, he said – he said that I actually was on to something here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something here. He admitted he was only paying half attention. I'm so. It's the third Don Imus reference I've gotten, and it's not fun. <laughs> Go get a haircut. It's not that hard. Wear a mask. It's fine. Well, no. just don't start wearing the cowboy hat. For- oh wait. <laughs> I've gotten five or six haircuts. I've got five or six haircuts. I'm still alive. <laughs> All right, let's not get down into there. Okay, I've been <laughs> doesn't want to get a haircut. Does not get a haircut. All oh, right. I'm not getting a haircut. I, I want one bad. I want one passionately, but it's never been this long, so I'm just. What else am I going to do? Now it's more for a experimentation rather than social concerns. It pretty much is. Okay. Because uh, I doubt I'll ever get this long again in my life. So. All right. Well, before. Uh, before I move on, I am at the halfway point in the cigar, and I'm getting uh, – actually, the flavors are much more pronounced at the midway point. You're right. They were kind of meandering, and it was kind of hard to pin down in that first third. But for now, me, that spice and chocolate on the nose and the leather and chocolate and a little bit of earthiness on the draw is way more noticeable at the halfway point. You guys? The chocolate is still prevalent. The, the sweetness has disappeared. That uh, little bit of leather component, that that little bit of spice on the background is it's become more muted. The strength is still building for me too. This is almost to a full medium in strength halfway it's point. It's gotten stronger, but I mean, a lot of those flavors have dialed themselves down. My, no- my nose is picking up way more strength at the medium point and. Man, I'm kind of on Cody's side. I I can tell that the strength's getting in because now I taste a little bit more of that just tobacco, good tobacco taste. 
But in terms of like the individual flavors, the retro hell's still there, so I like that. But the palette, I've just I haven't been able to really dial anything in on the on the palette. Uh, but uh, I can tell that the the strength is picking up, so I'm I'm really kind of liking that. And I'm just on I'm probably on the back half of the of the scar. Okay. Uh, well, I will I will jump back to it shortly. Because uh, for me, yeah, it's playing a lot. The middle the middle half is playing a lot more um, complex than the than the first. Well, the next morning, Martin tells Alice he doesn't think she should be drinking with her medication. Remember, he found the champagne bottle the night before. But she informs him that she's not taking the medication. He Doc, feel- am I not supposed to be drinking with medication? What medication are you on? Oh, no, never mind. It checks out. You're you're okay. Martin feels that by tranquilizing herself before bed, it could help with her dreams. But she says her dreams are just fine, and he sure does have a lot of ideas about what she should be doing for a guy that's never around. She doesn't yeah. say that in that many words, but that's kind of what she says. Good job. As Alice walks downstairs, she doesn't seem at all surprised that Roland's bloodbath has been mopped up as if it never happened. She tells Martin, looking around, that the house could use a deep cleaning, top to bottom, but he says, don't be ridiculous. That would take days. What's for breakfast? My God, this guy's a giant asshole. Am I right, doctor? I've got a hard day of fucking my 21-year-old undergrad student. I need some breakfast. These lectures on Paul Bunyan aren't going to write themselves, honey. Yeah, this guy's a grade-A dipshit, and they foreshadowed it from the beginning. We then get treated to a mo- another montage of Alice cleaning the house. Top to bottom. She's scrubbing the floor. She's scrubbing the walls. She's scrubbing everything. It's a montage. And all this cleaning inspires her to head into town to Mort's Empire of Paint to buy some supplies. As oh, she enters thank the- you. I was really hopeful by that name alone. Empire of Paint. Like That's got to be something, right? Oh, it's, oh, it's something, all right. Oh, it's something. Isn't that the title of a Megadeth album? Uh, Morton's Emporium of Paint? It should, it should be. Empire of Paint? It should be. <laughs> As she enters the store, a woman is down on her knees painting with slow strokes the front desk of the shop while the store's manager drums on the counter with two paint stern sticks, staring a hole through Alice while a long-ass cigarette dangles out of his mouth. It's a very David Lynch moment... And somehow in this film, it doesn't seem weird for weird's sake, but rather it just kind of fits. Wellington's ears just perked up. A David Lynch moment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you saw something I didn't see? I'm Lynchian. I'm I'm Lynchian. I'm Lynchian. I gotta get this guy Kate on the phone. (laughs) No, but dude, it's such a weird scene. This weirdo tapping. Oh, this weirdo is awesome staring at her as she like who's going to shop at the store if this is what you get when you walk in but in in an indie movie i would be like oh these guys are trying to david lynch it up like this is just supposed to be a weird no this is this movie everything's weird like that's just the the vibe of it oh this guy's awesome alice noticed the help wanted sign on the window so she inquires about a job and this leads us to the most awkward job interview i've ever witnessed on screen or off screen Mr. Mort questions her about her job history as the cigarettes dangle from his mouth and he's... 
listeners, viewers, I can't begin to describe how awkward and bizarre this character of Mr. Mord is. So go to Amazon Prime and watch the fucking Carpenter because just, oh just skip ahead. Pasty white skin, hair slicked back. Uh, it's got that long hand. His hands kind of shake. He's guy. a little bit erratic. Yes, very erratic and very into paint. He asked her if she has any chemistry background because paint is chemistry. It's chemistry. Alice, <laughs> Sorry, tells him, Alice tells him, well, I have more of a liberal arts education. <laughs> You're well aware that we deal in house paints, not art paints. <laughs> I love that line. He loves his paint. Oh, dude loves his paints. And paint, he, Alice, when this is the single most preoccupation of my life. When he asked her, are there any health con- health concerns that we might need to know about that might affect your job performance? She says, yeah, you know, I had a nervous breakdown recently, and sometimes I see things that I know can't really be happening, but I know that they're not real, and I don't see how it would affect my job that much. This chain-smoking weirdo looks her in the eye. You're hired. <laughs> what? I love that. No qualifications. Uh, openly just admits to a mental issue. Whole host of psychotropic drugs. Uh, sure. Why not? Come on in. I loved Mr. Mort. I did too. Oh my God, I love Mr. Mort. And that guy has gone on to act in a gazillion things, and that's like his claim to fame as he plays weirdos. All right, good on him, though, because he does a good job with it. And like INDB, like 200 Canadian TV shows and movies, like he plays the, the a little bit off, a little bit off guy, and man, he, no surprise there. I have a pencil thin mustache and smoke a cigarette. Yes, <laughs> of course you can. Excellent. That's all his headshot is, and he probably gets 75% of his, uh, of his gigs just off the headshot alone. Oh, dude, if I had any kind of a penance, a, a penance of a budget to make a movie, I would put this guy in it. He's so good. Back at the Jared house, Farnsworth is informing Martin that his window guy, Roland, has gone missing. Uh-oh. So the remodeling will be slightly delayed. Martin takes this news as, well, I guess you're saying the job can still get done with less workers. So he demands that Farnsworth fire those two grab asses goofing around over on the scaffolding. I don't want to see them anymore, Farnsworth. So do it. Fire them. Farnsworth is a little sheepish guy. He, he, just, he just caves. I'll admit it. Martin has been portrayed at this point as such a nerdish putz up to this point. I didn't see this alpha kind of attitude coming out of him, but I don't know. I guess getting some 19-year-old college pussy gives you some balls. And I was about to say, you're a college professor. You rule your domain, and so. But dude, he, but he's such he's such a little dweeb, and and like he sees finally there's someone he can. The college kids around, don't give him any yeah. respect, but Farnsworth, this little contractor, you know, sled dog, he can push this guy around. I want him gone. Get rid of him. So, dude, he made it clear. And thus, Kate and Menzi are fired from another job. Another job. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll pick up some work down the road. Where did those two cigarette-smoking dipshits that are playing grab-ass up on the scaffolding? Dude, they were literally... Wait a minute. If you two are those two guys, I don't want to be rolling. <laughs> 
Well, dude, these two guys were literally on the scaffolding when they're supposed to be wearing tickling each other. They were like tickling each other's armpits and like giggling. You're right. It's you two. No, it probably would be. It probably would be. Yeah. <laughs> Mincy and I are the only ones that drink malt liquor at nauseum. It would be us. Later that <laughs> later that day at the paint shop, Alice's sister Rachel has dropped in for a visit. And while Mr. Mort doesn't approve of them talking when Alice could be selling paint to the non-existent customer. I was about to say to the town of, what, 400, 500 people that are there? there. His bee little ears perk up when Rachel tells him that she's a big-time interior designer from the big city. And she's willing to buy 40 gallons or more paint from him a month. 40 gallons? Mr. Mort shoves a cigarette in his mouth and he suddenly gets very deathly serious. I hope you mean that because jokes like that make me very nervous. So if you don't mean that, just say so, he says in between cigarette drags. And she's like, oh, I mean so. Oh, may you live for a thousand years. Man, this dude is so fucking weird. I'm eating it up. He really is almost a precursor for that character. I love this guy. Tuck gets it. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Do you think about paint much? (laughs) No, it's the central. I love this guy. I love this guy. Well, that night, Alice is repainting the living room when she hears the familiar sound of the carpenter's buzzsaw coming from outside. She shakes out her ponytail, make herself look a little more sexy, and goes out to talk to her new friend. So, after she told Mr. Mort that she sometimes sees things that she knows can't be real... Did y'all think at this point that she fully believed the carpenter was a figment of her imagination, or did y'all think she believed he was real? This is still leaving it in a... It's up in the air. In a cinematic limbo, because I really liked this... The dialogue between them. I liked the way it was shot, because it's still... Like you had said, you mentioned, is it... Is this not happening? Is it really happening? She, I, I always got the sense, despite her saying that to Mr. Mord about her seeing things that she realizes aren't, I always got the sense from the first scene with her and the carpenter that she believed he was real. I right. never I never thought that she accepted it as a figment of her fragmented mentality. I always, throughout the whole film, I always believed that she thought the carpenter was real. I was just I was just curious if at this point you guys were thinking that she was just embracing a fantasy that she knew was basically. I kind of I kind of thought that she was just embracing it. I, I didn't think that she was just having fun with an imaginary friend because she needed somebody to talk to. I didn't dig that deeply. I kind of figured that uh, she imagined it was happening, and when she says that to Mort in the paint shop, she says it so casually. Um. So it's kind of all over the map. But, I, but, I never... later, but later she says to her sister to jump ahead that she's got this friend named Ed and she acts like he's real. So you're right, Doctor. It's 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 Screenwriting-wise, it's all over the place. Yeah, I, I always thought she felt he was there. Thank you, Doctor. I did too. So we got two, two for always there, two for imaginary friend. Yeah, at this point, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, well, like I said, I mean, if nothing else... Done a semi decent job of 
what is actually happening with this character? That 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 it's it's got us guessing. So I, and I was like, you know, and when we've come down to this scene, I'm like, the way it's played back and forth between them, because yeah. I mean, you never see them, and because I like this, because you never see them in the same right here. They're it's it's constantly back and forth. Yeah, right. no, they're never in the same frame, is what you're saying. And right. yeah, and so I'm just like, I it, it gives you that who is. She, is she actually having a conversation with him? Um, well, Doctor and I believe... Doctor and I believe yes. You guys believe no. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a point for like a viewer. It's like, hey, did she kill Roland? Did she chop his arms off with a saw and clean him up all night? But that, that Doctor, if I'm, if I'm listening to you guys correctly, that's where you guys are leaning. If you don't believe he's real, then she's doing all this shit. Did you guys have that thought? Well, I, I mean... You know, just go back. A, a, well, you a would know if you had that thought. Well, yeah. I mean, because, I mean, after the, the initial where he kills Roland, and then she's like, we need to clean the house top to bottom. Oh, like, maybe, I mean, there's I, more, maybe there's more going on here. Yeah, because, I mean, that, look that's at this way. She's like, had a psychiatric she, episode. She's had a breakdown, and the husband knows it. Up. She just knew the there husband was likes up. drugs. Uh, to me, it could be the husband killing these things. And then she witnesses the husband but thinks it's this other manifestation. That's why she, she needs to clean she's it now. Portraying, uh, she's portraying the carpenter's visage over Martin's dweebish image. Maybe. I don't know. You're you're really making this film into something, man. I know, I know. I, <laughs> which I love, which I love, which I love, and that's that's the reason I picked this movie is because you can go a gazillion different ways with it. All right, moving on. Evening, ma'am. The carpenter says he's always wearing the exact same flannel shirt and jeans. By the way, he never changes. You work pretty hard, don't you? She asks. Well, hard work builds the world, he says with a smile. She asks if he ever takes a break, but he explains that if you take a break, you lose your momentum. And that's the thing about hard work, ma'am. You can't lose your momentum. It's like music. Once you get going, once you get the rhythm, it takes on a life of its own. And the moment you stop it, you kill the rhythm. Yaks, when you're knee-deep in a woodworking project, do you feel the rhythm? I do. Totally. Do you speak in nothing but poster material, inspirational poster material? Oh, that's good. Okay. And when you're working on these big projects and I send you a, a meme or a gif of Chris Farley and Adam Sandler, you know, at the gay pool from SNL, are you like, fuck, he fucked up my rhythm? Every day. Okay. Okay. Every day. I send you. That's how lot. often he sends them. I send you a lot of those. Okay. <laughs> But you have to stop sometime, Alice says. Not until the job's done, ma'am, the carpenter grins. Alice says she doesn't want to interfere with his work any longer, but he reassures her that he doesn't. she doesn't break the rhythm at all. She's a nice part of his rhythm. She tells him that she too has a job now, and he says that sounds just fine. He understands that these days working a job is a lady's privilege. She rocks back and forth on a swing outside, soaking in his masculinity as he sands wood and saws some more wood. It's very clear that she enjoys the carpenter's company. Speaking, well, of, speaking of companies, do you boys know what one of my favorite companies is right at this very moment? Oh, What's I that? think I do. Who's that, Tut? 
Drew Estate. Drew Estate, yes. And Papico.com. Ooh, good combination there. I am talking about Papico.com and one of the amazing products you can find right now over on their impressive website is Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve Barrel Ferment Cigars from our friends blended over at our friends at Drew Estate Cigars. This unique Sudogi is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Gran Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes, or bundles of tobacco, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water is then added, while immense pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks. Not jumping jacks. Not car jacks. Not not apple jacks. Not jacks like kids play with marbles and whatever the hell that is. Jacks in the box? Not jacks in the box, doctor. Railroad jacks. We've seen it done. These dudes working these railroad jacks are fucking American hero badasses. And you got to see it to believe it. I hope one day the barn smokers will rise again. And you can go to Louisiana Barn Smoker to Mark Ryan's farm and see these guys manhandle this tobacco like the tobacco scientists that they are. (sighs) The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, repacked. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months. Tut, that is longer than it takes a baby to bake in your belly. It's true. This cigar, when you light it up, it's like lighting two babies up in your mouth. 18 months, that's two babies you're firing up. That's an odd comparison. Yeah. Says you. Leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Pavin Winkles Family Reserve Barrel Ferment Cigar is now available at every brick and mortar. Drew Diplomat retailer everywhere. And if you'd like to smoke the unique pig-sized Vitola of the Pappy, which is my opinion is the best, Head over to pappyco.com as that's the only place you'll find it. As the sun creeps up the next morning, Farnsworth's truckload of hungover idiots pulls up for a new day's work. And as they all stare astonished at how much work has been done to the exterior of the house overnight, Farnsworth pulls the two main idiots off off to the side to let them know they're fired. The dickheads don't take the news too well. They manhandle Farnsworth. They grab him by the collar and he quickly shifts the blame over to Marvin, or Martin, and says, he saw you guys horsing playing around, and he doesn't want you around anymore. saw you guys tickling each other. Come he on. saw you guys tickling each other, Caden Mincy, and he wants you out of here. They storm off, but, Doctor, we've seen enough of these movies to know that we haven't seen the last of these douchebags, am I right? Well, now they're actually, now that they've been fired from the job they're paid to do, they're finally going to get some initiative. Yeah, now they're going to get up the gumption to actually get off their ass and do something. If only they had had that on the job site, they wouldn't be in this situation. He fired us for being shitheads. We'll show him. Let's be some hardcore shitheads. When Alice comes downstairs, the morning sunlight cascading through the living room window shines down on a brand new custom-made rocking chair in the living room with a bright red bow on it. It's a gift from the carpenter, and she adores it. Just then, Sheriff Johnston pulls up on his motorcycle to welcome the the Jarrett's to town. Oh, doctor's got his shoulders. (laughs) Oh, this guy. 
I'm guessing that the actor originally cast as the sheriff didn't show up that day because the uniform this dude's wearing is hilariously baggy. His sleeves are falling down over his hands. The ass is all droopy and his pants keep slipping down as he walks up the front porch. Or given what we've seen in this movie so far, this might be a directorial choice. That'd be a question for Mr. Wellington. If David Wellington would admit to directing this oddity, uh, <laughs> we could ask him some things. Oh, my God. Add in a big-ass cowboy hat, some giant aviator shades that he leaves on indoors, and a huge wad of bubble gum, and we've got ourselves quite a character here, don't we, Boris? Literally, <laughs> it is the gun, and it is that ginormous 80s walkie-talkie that literally takes up his entire left side. Ugh. Doctor, do you like this character? Need to ask you a couple questions. <laughs> As Alice makes the sheriff some tea, he kicks back. Look at the doctor on screen there. He kicks back and tells her a kind of funny story about this old house she's living in. You see, decades ago, a man named Ed Burton, a talented carpenter by trade, bought up all this land to build his dream home on. Everyone in town agreed that Ed was a nice enough guy, but he had a bit of a temper. A wild temper. Well... He slams his hand down on the counter. I think, there was a, I, I think there was a fly or something that was killing It was him. a fly. Okay. But he had to emphasize that. Well, Ed began taking out all sorts of loans to finance this house, which he wouldn't let anyone else work on because he wanted to be perfect. Ed became obsessed with this house, and when he couldn't pay back his loans, his creditors sent over some repo man, and Ed proceeded to kill them all in, quote, the most disgusting, hideous ways you can imagine. As the sheriff is telling the story, which he barely remembered from his childhood, but it's very detailed. <laughs> uh, the teapot starts whistling faintly, and he says, Do you hear that? He asks Alice. It's the screams of a repo man who lost his head. Alice doesn't flinch. She's just staring at the donut-chomping weirdo sitting at her kitchen table. She's, she's not showing any kind of emotion. Hold on, Cade. A man ripped to pieces. Tastes so good. <laughs> I love the sugary ones. I love the sugary ones. Oh, tiny white donuts. He I goes love. on to tell her <laughs> about the killings. A man ripped to pieces and killed without mercy. A man tore asunder. Like he's going to use the word asunder. <laughs> Alice asks what happened to Ed. And she's told that he got sent to the electric chair and the house never was finished properly. That is, until now. It's so sad, she says. Ed sounds like such a nice man. Well, Seems like a strange thing to say about a murdering psychopath. <laughs> Do you think the doctor is the sheriff's dad? They have the same laugh. I don't know, but I love that fucking dude. Well done, Doctor. Yes. That 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 the sheriff is <laughs> away. I uh at first I thought it was really meant to be played by a much older, crustier actor. 
Because he's like 30 years old. Like I said, somebody clearly was supposed to play him other than this guy because the clothes didn't fit this dude at all. They do the right thing where they've got like the sweat going down the front of his shirt. He doesn't take the shades off. And he's he's real creepy. But I thought it was supposed to be like an old dude. But Dude, it, what was up? Like, I mean, everything, like the knock on the door when he first shows up, it's like. It's everything. Bop, 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 bop. I mean, it's just everything in this movie is a choice. At, at that point, yeah, at that point, it's well, we've already had the crazy doctor from the beginning. We've had Roland. We've had Mort. At that point, you're not Martin. Really, Martin. Martin. At this point, you're not really questioning it. This was this was the one more so than the old doctor, more so than Mort. I love this stupid motherfucker's appearance. <laughs> that scene delivered, that monologue he delivers at that kitchen table while chomping on that donut. Oh my god! And to make it to make it even more bizarre, once the tea is done, she sets this egg timer on the stove. And so while he's telling his story, there's this tick, 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 tick of the timer. The whole thing is just. Magic. I almost wonder if I almost wonder if that was a, a throwback to a carpenter's watch from the fog on that opening monologue, because now it's removed any any doubt. You're in a ghost story. He Did is get Wellington is a Lynch carpenter. Fucking a. I'm <laughs> There's my pen. I got to take notes. Uh, yeah, well, no, I mean, he's basically in this monologue, this giant fucking heavy-handed monologue, which he knows a little bit about from his childhood. A little, little every, bit. But every detail of. Uh, yeah, he's basically just explained to us who the carpenter is. His name's Ed. And, yeah, there's... You gotta give something here to Alice's reactions to everything. She doesn't act shocked. She doesn't act. This this is this is a weird actress. I love the way that yeah. she. I love the way that she handles her scenes because. She's never not in control of herself, considering that she's supposed to be Looney Tunes, but she. She's kind of making these judgment calls without, saying it on what she's gonna roll with to benefit her and what she's you see a lot of behind the the mask stuff here she's a really good actress she stays rather even keeled throughout all the stuff that's happening yeah but but i can always see her wheels as alice working i can i can tell that she's processing stuff it's weird she's she's good she's really good i would have loved to play the role of that cop oh god (laughs) No, actually, I'm kind of the opposite because once we get into the full-blown ghost story of the whole thing, like, now I'm questioning all the other scenes that came before this, and I'm just kind of like, well, if it was a manifestation, she should have been shocked as hell at the rocking chair with the red bow because now all of a sudden we've got a physical manifestation there, so she should have been shocked at that. And then hearing the ghost story, maybe she should have a little bit more reaction than, oh, yeah, I know this dude. But so if she thought he was real and she was really having these conversations at this point, she would be like, oh, shit, I've been talking to a ghost. But wait, 
he gave me that rocking chair. So did I see him kill those people or did I not? She should, you would have liked to see more of her kind of wrestling with what the fuck is real and what's not at this point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is she having, is her connection to reality that tenuous? Is she yeah. just. We and I can, how, and I can understand free. even, even if she says, okay, so I've met a murderous ghost, but he's the only person other than my sister that has treated me kindly. Fuck it. I like this dude. I mean, I, I could see something like that, but you know, with the way that it's played with the way that it's written, it's just kind of like, so even killed that I'm just kind of like, there's no surprise in any of this. So I don't know what the hell's going I'm going to give her a little more credit for that. I'm going to say that she's processing it and just not letting us privy to it at this moment. Speaking of processing, we might want to get on the cigar. Uh, what you got? Oh, I was about, I'm, I'm getting into the last third here. Man, the strength has from the first third to the final third has picked up for me continuously. It's now a full medium strength. Um, the leather with a very subdued uh, milk chocolate on the draw has been consistent. There's been some earthiness and a little bit of sweetness that kind of comes and goes. Um, but mainly, I'm I'm with Tut and the the retro hail is the the king of this cigar. Yeah, the retro hill is definitely the showpiece. That, I'm not the draw. I'm not nice. getting any of that stuff. Other than as the strength is picked up, I have gotten the introduction of earth flavors that I really like. Uh, that spice mixed with that milk chocolate and a little bit of sweetness on that retro hill yaks you with me. I mean, it's that retro hill is the the star of the show. Uh, t- I really think that Colch beer is fucking with you on this cigar. It, it it very well could be. It very well could be. I'll say this much: the I've, I think that my beer, this Bach, has emphasized the chocolate within this cigar. It's possible. Um, other than that, like you all said, I will agree a hundred percent. The retro hell has brought forward majority of the other flavors the sweetness for myself has disappeared like when i got past the halfway point on this i was getting a very almost like i said almost a gram type thing but that has gone away in terms of like the the strength of the cigar i can agree with you kate it has picked up i mean in the very beginning it was very light now i mean it it's 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 full medium. It is. Yeah. I, I actually think that this cigar is it's it's in an interesting position because I think that this cigar would be a good cigar that can it's not only approachable to people that are inexperienced with cigars and it would be a wonderful introduction to cigars because that retro hell is really something to experience. Uh but yeah, it's not going to like send them into nicotine sweats or anything like that. It's going to be a very enjoyable experience. And then the flip side of that is not only is it approachable for new cigar smokers, it's also got enough complexity and subtlety apparently that it's good for very experienced cigar smokers. It is. And I actually think it's kind of, uh, it's one of the weird, I can't remember another moment like this where 
the film we're doing is so weird and disjointed and doesn't make a lot of sense. And you're wondering if it was the director's intent. I'm, I'm wondering how much of this was the blender's intent and how much of what we're getting this chaos in the cigar is intentional, much like the film. I think it's a perfect cigar to film with tonight's uh, perfect cigar to <laughs> pair with tonight's film. It, it, it's kind of a wonky cigar. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about price point. It is a limited edition, as I said. Um, I told you he made 7,500 of these back when he uh, split from Davidoff, and he made another 10, 10 grand of these uh, afterwards. I'll go to you first, Tut. Price point. It is smoking a long time. It has. I, I like that. Man, that limited edition is what's what's throwing my my calculus off. Don't let it skew you too much. Just go with your gut. Do it. Man, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna rest up on. I want to say thirteen twenty-five, but I'm going to drop it down to eleven seventy-five. Eleven seventy-five. Live to be a thousand years old. <laughs> Yak boy, eleven seventy-five to you. Oh, I'm right there with Ted. I'm confused. I will mention confused. These, these were not easy to find. Thirteen fifty. Thirteen fifty. Eleven seventy-five and thirteen fifty. We're about to jump up to seventeen fifty. Price point on these boys are ten dollars. Hey, that's that's good enough for this retro hail. It actually is. It's it's good. All uh, right. That's always a tough call because I given the given everything for the cigar, given the 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 profile and the flavors. And you end up with the name of Death Bucket. Uh, now that I know the price, I'm going to act like I was smart and say 1025 was actually my base price, but I jacked it up to the, the limited. No, you can't. You uh, can't retroactively. Uh, I w- I'll stick with 1350 because I would still pay 1350 for this cigar, knowing what I'm going to get now. That retro hail, that 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 combination retro hail, that that strength of pepper and chocolate. And then you're still getting that really defined uh, leather. But I mean, I can I can totally agree with Tut the you know the that exclusive factor of it being such a limited batch. Yeah, but uh, Redhorn Redhorn Brewery here in Cedar Park has a stout called the uh, Jimmy Superfly Snicka Stout, and it is a very chocolate forward stout. And man, you pair that with that cigar's retro hail and Oh, that's flavor. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to try that. Um, I just love that when we talked to Matt and he was like, when he announced his retirement, he actually went down to Latin America and just started sampling leaves and smoking blends. And this is what he came up with. It, it's, it kind of ties into our conversation with him, and that's really cool. So, yeah, 10 bucks a stick, man. That's not bad. We bought these from CigarHustler.com. Tut? Oh, do I do the voice on CigarHustler.com? Yeah, go ahead and do it. 
CigarHustler.com. As they were nice enough to take our money and let us purchase these fine cigars, even though we weren't aren't regulars in their lounge and we don't know our pod bean ranking offhand. Despite all of this, they were gracious enough to allow us to give them our credit card number in exchange for goods and services. So go seek out the premium cigars of your dreams at CigarHustler.com, and I'm sure you'll be treated with the same professional level of respect and class that we were afforded. And when I go go to uh, CigarHustler.com, I need to know my Podbean ranking to make a purchase. It helps, but you don't need it. It's not. It's oh, not okay. necessary. All right. Because um, I still don't know where we rank on Podbean. <laughs> Did I mention we have 1.2 million YouTube views? And they often have some really awesome contests running too. So keep your eyes open for those. Uh, there's actually a Room 101 contest going when I bought these. But when you go to CigarHustler.com, do not use your favorite promo code, TNCC20, at checkout, as that only works at FamousSmokeShop.com, where you can use it to knock $20 off your purchase of $100 or more. Now, that's really awesome. Uh-huh. That's 20% right there. That is literally 20%. So, uh, But thank you, Cigar Hustler, for uh, making this happen. I wanted to feature the death bucket, and you were there for us. Thank you, CigarHustler.com. CigarHustler.com. Thank you. After sundown, we join the two newly unemployed dickheads as they shoot pool at the local tavern. They want revenge on both Marvin and Farnsworth for firing them, and they decide they're going to get drunk and steal all the tools from the Jared home and go into business for themselves. Three of your buddies have gone missing in the last couple of days. I think this is a smart idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything about this is smart. So they head over to the house and shatter. They throw something through the living room window, shattering it to pieces and climb on in. So much for the element of surprise. (laughs) Oh, they're surprised. But they do whisper after climbing in through the shattered window. So there's that. Again, we're dealing with idiots here. Again, the words of Moses. Drinking will help us play. (laughs) That is that that is a TNCC move right there. Nothing but drink for four hours. We're ready. Now we've got it. Now we've got a plan. It's now cool. we're ready. If drinking doesn't help the plan, it'll definitely help the execution. This plan is foolproof. We'd be stupid not to go through with it. They grab what tools are scattered around, but the main asshole wants to go down the basement to get that fancy new sander he saw. Uh-oh. As he walks down the basement stairs, the dingleberry decides to slash the wall with a pocket knife as he goes down. And when we cut to the carpenter who's downstairs, or shall we, I guess we'll now call him Ed. He's Ed now. Ed. He has a long jagged... The carpenter. He's got a long jagged fresh cut on his forearm, which on my first viewing, I never equated with that guy slashing the wall of the house. I did. I thought that was pretty smart. I like that. But later on, my I yeah. actually watched this four times over the last three days. Thanks, Cade. Thank you, Cade. Best. I got, I got it. You're awesome at what you do. Remember that sander that they were keen on stealing, boys? Yeah. Well, old Ed sands that guy's face off. <laughs> but we sadly don't get to see any real gore here. Didn't have the budget. 
But hey, at least the dude screams, unlike that other hoser who gets his arms lopped off and he just stood there like a dummy. Ed then goes upstairs and staples the other moron's forehead with a staple gun before poking him full of holes. Oh no, staples his eyes, man. It's like kink, kink, right in the eyes. I thought... I watched it four times. I thought it was his forehead. He actually staples him in the eyeballs? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, okay. I really got to drink less. I really got to drink less when I watch these things. There, there's a level of gore factor, but it's not really emphasized. Yeah, well, I think what what the what the weird thing was me is that okay, he takes the stapler, goes to the eyes, and I was like, oh, we're about to get it here. And he just takes a drill, drills it through his throat, and that was it. I was like, well, he drew- that money at this point. Yeah, he, <laughs> he drills them a, a bunch of times. We wasted all that. We had all that stuff in the budget for Roland's hairspray. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> did you see those mullets that's where the budget went la gear two thousand dollars <laughs> hell man uh, of course been some of, vidal sassoon product placement all throughout this of course none of this wakes up martin who's loaded up on tranquilizers but alice does finally come to from all the drilling and the screaming when she walks downstairs she finds ed hunched over the dead goober's body still drilling holes in him over and over again. Alice smiles and tells Ed that he really should watch that temper of his. She ignores the human meatloaf lying in a pool of blood and tells Ed she really likes the work he's done on the house lately. Well, when you do something right, it stays right, he says. He's a very appreciative carpenter. They then have a whole conversation about taking pride in your work, the downfalls of the fast-paced modern world, which has produced soft, lazy men, a total lack of true craftsmen. They very much enjoy each other's company, don't you say, Doctor? Oh, definitely, yes. I'm pretty sure I've heard... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. I'm saying there's quite a bond between the two. I was pretty sure I've heard Cody give this speech a couple of times. Drunk. Yeah. Yeah. It might have happened. When he, gets, when he gets drunk, he starts talking about the immasculinity of modern man. and What a bunch I, of pussies. I just and hate I, the fact that he looks at me when he gives it to And me. I, for one, love every second of it, yes. And yes, I do love how you usually look at Tut when you give those speeches. And don't just look at Tut. In fact, as she heads back to bed... Ed tells Alice it's a real pleasure talking to her, and she coos back that the pleasure's all hers. So at this point, I'm still convinced she believes Ed is a real is real. Yeah, but despite the crazy shit he's doing and the fact that she's acknowledged to Mr. Mort that she sees crazy shit occasionally that isn't really there, I believe that she thinks Ed is real. Were you all on that same train of thought, or did you take any of this as she's convinced Ed? was just her imaginary friend and it makes her life easier to have somebody to talk to. I'm so in- so confused. I need to be my in God, the nut house. Doctor, my God, the confusion. My God, the level of ambiguity coursing through the carpenter is ad infinitum, the ambiguity. I can't understand what's going on here. Is that real? Is he a figment of this crazy psychotic bitch's imagination that it's just off the charts. I think the real level of ambiguity doesn't lie with the carpenter. It lies with Tut trying to wrestle with what's real and what's not. Am I right, Doctor? 
Well, you know, I would like to say that you made fun of the the inappropriate wood uh, jazz band. And ambiguity lies with the carpenter. I believe it was a college radio band Tut was in back in the 90s. I think you're confused. That was the name of our first album. Tut was the carpenter. Opening up for the toadies. Ambiguity with the carpenter. That's an awesome band name, actually. I actually thought... From the beginning, uh, that I, I thought he was in corporeal form. I thought thought she would he he was real and she thought so the whole way. That's what I always thought. I'm with you, Doctor. I never thought for a second that she was like this is just a little fun imaginary guy that's doing. I always thought that she felt he was real. But while we're at it, he sanded off his face. My God, the nerve endings of pain was beyond. Fire to have the sand in his face off. I God, I can't imagine the pain he's in. But she shows no reaction to one, two, she has three, four, five, six dead bodies now. She's experienced a mental break herself. She's a complicated character who perceives the world not through your lens, Tut, but through a complicated psychically broken lens. So are we saying that maybe she thinks that the that he's real, but the dead bodies and his killings aren't real. But that doesn't make sense because the sheriff basically said, "Oh, they're real." Moving on. <laughs> the next morning, Martin is pulled away from his daily ritual of bullying. That look off to the side. to take a telephone call in the kitchen. And it's clear to a deaf person that the call is from his blonde mistress. Martin is laughably bad at covering that up. Oh, hi. Yes. Yes. Oh, I see. I see. I told you never to call here, bitch. It's my house. I got a wife. Dude, she's still in the kitchen when he's saying this shit. He's not a pro at this. He's... he's, Uh. He's not nuanced in the art of having a mistress. No, honey, it's part of your psychiatric breakdown. Here's some more pills. Yes, yes. Oh, I see. Okay, yes. Oh, I understand why that would be confusing. Don't you ever call here again, bitch. <laughs> well, those, those At least wait till your wife is out of the room with her goddamn toast. That mid-80s touch button... Yellow brown phones, they didn't really pick up a lot of scent. You really had to yell into them. <laughs> you! That's a good point, uh, Yaks. It was the typical late 80s yellow brown phone. <laughs> it wasn't yellow, it wasn't brown, it was yellow it brown. Made me, it would have made me feel better if he had used the, you know, 15 foot cord to like maybe go into another room and then into <laughs> another room. And then into the room, away from the kitchen to yell at his mistress. You can't call me here. I mean, I've made enough concessions for you. You cannot do this. But no, he's... Don't don't you ever call me here again. And if maybe she just walked over to the room next door and picked up the other phone to listen to the conversation. Well, that, that was an option, too, back in 1988. Am I the only one that phone made nostalgic? Yes, it did. I'm like, ah, yes. But get this, Alice, Alice, 
Alice seems comfortably unfazed by all this as she butters her toast, listening to her husband talk to his mistress. Flash forward to later that night as we join Martin and his lover at the CD Colibri Motel. <laughs> John know Colibri is a, a leading maker of cigar cutters and lighters. They are. I have heard I have heard the term. She greets him in a see-through purple negligee. We get to see her nipples. Some, something in this. Well, well. And he immediately starts ripping off his clothes, but before she'll allow herself to be consumed by his irresistibly pasty body, she has something serious to talk about, and it ain't Paul Bunyan. She's pregnant. Of course. Ooh, that'll take the old piss and vinegar right out of you. I'd like to see your blue ox save you from this one, pal. I mean, I can't your way out of this one, buddy. I can completely see how a very attractive college student would fall for Martin. So this, I guess, this adds up. I'm being, I'm being facetious here, dude. Uh, well, Martin pulls up his sensible pair of permanently creased Docker slacks and gets the fuck out of there. I would, I would think he'd be like, well, she's pregnant already. Might as well. One for the road? One for the road. This ain't going to hurt nothing. <laughs> What's that uh, great metal song, Shot in the Dark? Shot in the Dark! Uh, now, here's an odd moment that pops up next. Imagine that, an odd moment in this movie. Alice is washing dishes when she sees her sister Rachel pull up in the driveway and she starts screaming hysterically. She's so excited that her sister has come to visit as it's clear they haven't seen each other in a very long while. Well before you get the feeling Alice has been institutionalized. But the thing is, they were together just the other day in the paint store. Yeah. Remember that? She so, really loves her sister. No, Tut. Clearly, the editor of this film was smoking the same shit that the writer and the director were puffing on because there's no question in my mind this scene should have been inserted before the paint store scene. Probably. She's acting like she hasn't seen her sister in forever, but we just saw her sister the day before in the paint store. You've been I, can't, the- I can't remember, Doctor, I can't remember ever watching a movie where a character is so excited to see a long-lost relative that we've already seen them hanging out with in a scene right before then. Dude, this is an editor literally dropping scenes in the wrong order. I she, think She had a scene with her sister, and now she's acting like she hasn't seen her sister in forever. It's insane. So I think it's not insane if we go back to your original comment, which is an editor dropping scenes in the wrong order because – Maybe they shot that one before the paint scene, and then let's face it. But this, as an editor, you have to realize when you're editing but, a film. But there, but there's, but there's a theory here, and I think I kind of see where Mincy's coming from. I think they shot that before the paint deal. That was supposed to like, like you shoot it. But but hang on, hang on. They shot that. It was meant to be. That was her introduction. Then the paint store, and then they get all throughout this thing. And I think somebody goes. 
You know what? At the very beginning of this movie, the sister's here. She's actually staying in the house with them. How do we explain all these nightly ghost visits and the sister not, you know, waking up with all these dead guys breaking in? There's no mention. I think the director forgot to got to shoot some of that stuff. In it's actually there. much more simpler than that, Tut. If you if you really watch the film, which I did four fucking times, that's your fault. This scene, the scene in the paint store should have happened. There's a very logical place for it to happen after she shows up at the house and reunites with her sister. Yeah. To watch it as a director, I'm looking at you, Wellington, to watch your final movie and be like, oh, yeah, there's a great scene with the the two sisters. Oh, and then next up is the scene where the sisters get reunited after many years. Oh, wait, shouldn't that go before the scene where they... Dude, this is a huge fuck-up. Let's just blame it on the animal magnetism of Mort, and they wanted to introduce him early into the film. So... You can get behind that, but... so, So fucked up. It is, but you are getting wrongly incensed. When you're like, as an editor... Okay, stop right there, okay? The editor didn't watch this movie four times. Okay, (laughs) This this is this is that's wrong. Movie. It was cheaply made. We we we. But yes, but doctor, we've watched the most cheaply made horror movies over the years. They're at least edited in chronological order. Some of them have some questionable stuff in them. At some point, at some point, even in those fucking hell, I make movies for ten grand, and I at least know to make them in chronological order. This is clearly a scene where she's reunited with her long-lost sister, and we already saw them together before that. It's crazy. It's fucking bananas. And in 32 years since this movie was released, you are having the greatest emotional response that's ever been had. That's what I'm saying. You're right about everything you're saying. You're right about everything you're saying. This is this was a. It looked to me like there were there were scenes that they meant to shoot that they ran out of money for. This is just, this is just shit shuffled in the wrong order. Somewhere I, there's gonna be a there's somewhere there's gonna be an intern who's like, get me Bill Wellington on the phone. Never, oh god, the sheriff's back. Over here is having a bit of a response because, uh, well, I don't know. He's just has some ideas about filmmaking that Mr. Wellington didn't have. Yeah, I don't know traditional filmmaking where you don't fuck what? up. About this goddamn thing. This is crazy, dude. To me, when they act, when she acted like she hadn't seen her sister in years, and we just saw her with her sister in the paint store, it blew my fucking. I like, oh my god, this movie not only introduces crazy, quirky characters and nonsensical shit. This movie is like turning timelines on the over on themselves. I think I think David Wellington should be fucking proudly saying this is his first film because this shit does insane shit. Okay, here's probably why he doesn't, okay? Because... I'll tell you why he doesn't, Doctor. Oh, yeah, that's the movie that I accidentally had a scene with two sisters hanging out, and then I, a minute later, introduced them meeting each other, and boy... There's never been a fuck up like that in film history. I don't want my name on this. No, you're overthinking it. In my opinion, in my opinion, 
Here, here's what happened. This movie never played in a theater. This movie got chopped together and they threw it together and said, it's the 80s. We've got all these horror sequels out here. Maybe we can put this in a video store and make some money. Throw it together as the best you can. That's what happened. He wiped his hands of it. I'm surprised it's not says directed by Alan Smithy. He wiped his hands of it. They chopped it together. Obviously, that makes no sense. Obviously, it's crazy. That's what this movie was. It was a cheap, low-budget movie. It ran out of money before it finished, and they slapped it together. They I've, slapped seen, it together. I, I've seen so many no-budget movies that actually managed to edit together a cohesive timeline. This blew my mind, but I'll, I'll digress, and I'll move on. Well, it was 88, so maybe they you know came what? to him. You know maybe what? they came to Wellington and they said, hey, there's a new thing out there. Direct to video. You know what, David Wellington? You don't want to put your name on this movie. Put my name on it. Directed by Matt A. Cade. I will put my name on this movie. I think I think Wellington didn't have a choice. I think he was done with it. No one was giving him any dollars. And they sent, yes, Cade, a hack. They sent some guy who was in his first year of film school in there and said, we're not paying you nothing. Here's a six-pack of Colt 45. Edit this fucking thing. And that's what you got. You might be very right. You you're right about right. everything you're saying. Senior thesis. Right. It makes no sense the way that that reaction from her character occurs because that's what you got with this. Unpaid interns. Woohoo! Unpaid interns. Yeah! <laughs> Jay Giles band. Yeah! They still suck. <laughs> At the dinner table that evening, Alice and Rachel are enjoying the hell out of themselves, drinking wine, telling old stories, while a highly annoyed Martin sits silently at the other end of the table. He does pipe up once they begin discussing paint color options for the house, but both women just completely ignore him like he isn't even there. It's hysterical. I mean, they're treating this guy like total dog shit. Finally, as they giggle on and on, he tries to stand up for himself, Ah, girl talk. Such music, he sighs. But Rachel just tells him, Martin, go to hell. And that just makes Alice giggle even more. Oh, my God, dude. They're running a train on this dude. I love it. He deserves every bit of it. Yes. Oh, Martin, I'm just joking. I'm just yeah, Martin. He's She's just joking. He's just being silly when she tells you to burn in hell, and I laugh. <laughs> as your wife, because I want to see you burning now. It's just jokes. Cut to 4 a.m. that morning when we find Alice painting the living room walls. So she was discussing paint colors for the living room walls at dinner, and boom, she's already got the paint somehow. Or, this makes more sense, the paint store scene with Rachel was probably supposed to go right before this one. That, was, that scene was supposed to go in between these scenes, but I'm going to just speak for the doctor. Eh, who cares? <laughs> Anywho, Martin stumbles out in his robe and he scolds her, scolds Alice for working so late. But as she says, a job isn't done till it's done, quoting her new best friend, Ed. And what is it? What is it, Tut? Hard, hard work uh, built the world? I don't know. Whatever crappy inspirational poster saying. A job isn't done till it's done. 
Hard also, work runs the rule. Simpsons line where Homer says, uh, Marge, gonna have to pull an all nighter, make a pot of coffee, drink it, and then start making me burgers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Martin feels otherwise. So when she refuses to take the tranquilizers he's always pushing on her, he just grinds some up in a glass of milk, Dr. Huxtable style, and knocks her out that way. <laughs> Are you oh, going to get some milk here and some only, milk here? Comatose and not be able to move around so much, so I'll ground the pills up in the milk and uh, put it in there. And, uh, only I doubt, boys, that it took Bill Cosby the five-plus minutes of screen time it took Martin to grind up these pills. Oh, hell no, I'm a professional on this shit. I know it real well. No one can see it. Put it my in God. Screen. My God, this scene took forever. Director Wellington, oh, yes. Get in there. Just it, show them smashing that up. Get in there. It, I didn't track it, but it felt like at least five minutes to show Martin grinding up these fucking pills. Well, the tranquilizers do knock her out, but she's not asleep for long before some romantic, old-timey music starts playing from downstairs, and it lures her out of bed. And, of course, when she reaches the bottom of the stairs, there's Ed in a crisp, white Colonel Sanders suit cranking away on the record player handle. He asks her if she'd bless him with a dance and a glass of wine. And naturally, she graciously obliges. That's what they remember when they wake up in the morning, but that ain't gonna happen. It's a white suit and some romantic tunes, but... Is the Two Times Square Club, I think we've gone over this before, anti-Bill Cosby? Yeah, I mean, you can't have to be. He's in prison for rape. Todd, I noticed a little reluctance on your part there. I, I don't see Yak Boy's hand up. Okay, uh, Right. Well, because I'm a fan of his comedy tapes, and I'm a fan of the Cosby Show. Yeah, his comedy sucked, and so did he. Oh, come on. Fat Albert tapes were awesome. Fat Albert has a car is one of the classic comedy skits Fuck you. The guy's, a, the guy's a monster. Oh, man. The dude was the dude had some good influence there. Yeah, until he, they were too asleep to notice it. Until he got all sexual predator on people. That's like, yeah, you know, if that's what it took him to make this great comedy, I mean, appreciate no, that. No, that, that no, Albert, I'll, I'll, no. I'll prison for rape. Not, Raise your fucking hand. What I'm, that's not Raise what I'm saying hand. at all. You're not, not what I'm saying at all. I did raise my hand. I no, you didn't. Did, no, I you denounced didn't. it. No, you I didn't. Did. Yeah, I did. Go go watch this videotape again when you're watching. All in favor of TNCC being against Bill Cosby, raise your hand. I raised my hand earlier. Now he's doing it with a cigar so it can be ambiguous. No, I raised my hand twice, motherfucker. You guys should do Leonard Part 6 on your funny show. I'm just saying that I liked his comedy and I liked the Bill Cosby show. His comedy sucked. No, it didn't. He sucks. No, well he does, but his comedy didn't. His comedy is always bullshit. My my biggest my biggest wish in middle school as a, a, a preteen, all I wanted, all I asked my mom for for years was take me to a comedy club to see Jerry Seinfeld. This is before Seinfeld was his show. I think I've told the story on the show before, but I'll tell it again. Guess what? Eighth grade, she buys me tickets. She's like, you know what? I know you love stand-up comedy. 
we're going to UT to Frank Irwin Center. I'm like, yes, 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 to see Bill Cosby. I'm like, oh, fuck. And I'm sorry that you were traumatized as a kid. And that night, I ate a McRib. It poisoned <laughs> I got food poisoning. I ended up the next day at my middle school puking all over the side of the building. And that's that make that tracks after watching the fucking Bill Cosby bullshit thing. I wanted to see a real comedian. I had to see that old fucking waste. I didn't know I was opening up childhood trauma memories. It's, uh, it's fine. Worms. Just put a little, I know. I'm, little I want it to be as dead as Ed. I want it to be as dead as Ed. I'm not going to make this personal. Fuck Bill Cosby and fuck you, Tut. <laughs> Sounded kind of personal. Oh, I, I did make it personal, didn't I? A little personal there. Totally. A little, a little bit. A job ain't done. A job ain't done till it's done. And again, Cade, you know who we all liked more than Bill back in those middle school days was Roseanne, and look what happened to her. I was never a fan. Moving on. <laughs> so of course, when Alice reaches the bottom of the stairs, there's Ed. And there is crisp white Colonel Sanders suit cranking away at the record player handle. He asked her if she'd bless him with a dance and a glass of wine. And naturally, she graciously obliges. I feel like I've said that before. As they slow dance, he tells her that she's beautiful and sensitive, bright and funny. And she knows what's what. You can tell from her smile that it's been a while since Martin told her those things. If ever. Oh, wait. Never. And what's what? It explains. It's that she could do a whole lot better for herself than that snoozing turd upstairs in bed. Things turn out a certain way, Ed, and you stick with it, she tells him. And to be honest, I don't really think about my relationship with Martin all that much. But Ed tells her emphatically that she must think about it. She has to start thinking about it because he wants to be with her and he wants to close off the whole house, the whole world to where it's just Alice and Ed forever. It would just be them, the house, the woods, and a love that would grow with time. She laughs. This is her Ed. And makes him promise to dig her well and make her a bucket. Hey! We smoked a death bucket tonight. That pairs. That pairs really well. See what I did there? Yeah. Oh, Ed says, as he takes a few steps away, there's always this, too, as he unzips his fly and she screams in horror as we hear a buzzsaw sound emitting from his crotch. It's super freaky and super confusing because we don't see what she sees, only her terrified reaction to it. Tut, did Ed have a power tool penis? He did. He unzipped the fly to his dance pants, and we hear (laughs) the power tool. You you had a good beard. You had a good beard pairing, too. But, dude, he unzips his fly, and it's it's power tool time. Scares the hell out of her, this buzzsaw sound. You say the sound made a local buzz? Oh, look at it. Look at it. 
and on fire. Yak boy, this all took place in the house. Your beer? Well, it's okay. That doesn't make sense for once. I can say that. Because it was all a dream. As Alice bolts up in bed, gasping for air. She starts to pound the shit out of Martin with her fists. But even that doesn't wake him up. Good drugs. I'm guessing she figured out that he drugged her. Because without the drugs, she doesn't dream. Now he spoon-fed her those drugs and she's having these nightmares doctor do you think he'll ways wake up with some bruising on his arms and chest come morning i'm afraid mr cade that's just far too early to tell i understand i think you're right i think you're right well, we then cut to the morning, and Martin is in the bathroom shaving, shirtless, and there's no bruising. Doctor, there's no bruising. It seems uh, rather highly unorthodox. Damn it. I, he should have got some bruising from that pummeling. I woke up with bruises from when they was trying to slap me away, and I'll just get some pudding pops. Doctor, yes. Make fun of him. I don't know why Tut's so opposed to this, but make fun of Cosby more and more. I'm not opposed to it. The guy's a goddamn monster. Okay, that's cool. Moving on. And for some reason, Rachel joins him in the bathroom. The sister. He asks her why she doesn't like him, and she explains matter-of-factly, well, it's mainly because you treat my sister like shit. Well... You and I could have been happy together if you played your cards right, he comes back with. What the... What the what is that? Missing scene somewhere? So Dole, Harry, personalityless Martin was banging both hot sisters and his perky co-ed students. I could suspend disbelief for ghosts, I can suspend disbelief for haunted houses. I can't suspend disbelief for him banging Rachel and Alice and hot co-eds. Doctor, maybe he's a silver-tongued devil. He tells them that Paul Bunyan story and they get all worked up. This is too much. This is too much. I can't I, I can't fathom dude Rachel's a hot little sex pot. He banged her too. I got a blue ox downstairs lucky to see. He's, now, got, he's got like neck hair that starts, <laughs> he's got neck hair that starts at his ass. His pupils are so don't uh, all right. Maybe big brain of them college boys. Refer man. to something as being Lynchian. From now on, we will refer to something as being Wellington. Oh, we're going to refer to a lot of things as Wellington from now on, whether he likes it or not. Oh, my God, this is so Wellington. Oh, they like it. They really like it. No, Bill, I don't think they do. No, 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 David, this is what we say when shit makes no fucking sense, and it's like a movie was made by middle schoolers. Well, you were in middle school when your mom dragged you to the concert. <laughs> Shit. I'm running, I'm running. Shut up, doctor. 
As Alice as Alice walks Rachel to her car to go to work, she tells her she has a hunch that Martin is cheating on her, but that it's okay because she has someone else in her life too. And this makes Rachel very happy. Good for you. Well, Alice goes on to explain that he's a carpenter who comes to visit her at night. He fixes things and he makes her problems go away. Oh, honey. And most importantly, he makes her feel good. Rachel's kind of on board with all of this until Alice says this. Me and Ned were talking last night in a dream and we made some plans. And that's when that's when very subtly on Rachel's face, you see, we got to take little sis back to the funny farm. Mm -hmm. Over at the Colibri Motel, Martin throws on his members only jacket post coitus. Yak boy, did I use that term correctly? You did indeed. Post quit. Okay. And tells his prego lover that he'll never see the same or that he'll see her the same time next Thursday. What a fucking charmer. Ugh, you can see why the chicks line up for him. See you again next Thursday. But he makes the mistake of also telling her that he's headed to the university and not headed home when she asks. So we can tell by the look on her face where she's headed, right, Doctor? She's uh, going to go make some trouble. You watch Lifetime movies like myself. You know where this is going. It's uh, the wrong student at this point. <laughs> the wrong student. She's heading, she's, heading to the, she's heading to the house out in the country. It's the wrong student. It's the wrong husband. It's the wrong carpenter. It's the, the wrong, wrong everything. <laughs> The wrong house. The wrong editor. The wrong, the wrong director. Editor, the wrong director. Everything is the wrong. Here. The wrong Roland. Uh, at the paint store, Alice is staring blankly at a paint can hooked up to a paint uh, shaker machine as it shakes violently from side to side over and over. You see when you go to get some paint, they shake the hell out the, of it. Yeah, the paint mixer. We cut away from her briefly to see Martin silently begging her wacko psychiatrist, Dr. Uh, Flanders, to commit her back to the asylum. Then we cut back to Alice as the paint can begins to spray blood red paint all over her chest and face. But she remains frozen and still completely emotionless. Then we cut back to that fucking psychiatrist laughing his ass off. Dr. Flanders, as Martin thanks him for helping her, you see them shaking hands. It's all silent because it's a montage, but uh, it might be one of my favorite montages we've ever featured on the show, and we've seen a lot of them. Doctor, can you just give me a silent Dr. Flanders laugh? And that is why you need to subscribe to us on YouTube. I'm still a little bit troubled, though. I feel like right when you throw Wellington off the cliff, you're pulling him back in. (laughs) (laughs) When Alice Alice arrives home, she's still covered in red paint. 
And Martin's mistress is waiting for her on the porch. Alice invites her inside, and the girl wastes no time in telling Alice that the, she's pregnant with Martin's child. And to her surprise and annoyance, Alice clearly doesn't give a rat's ass. You must think I'm stupid, Alice says. Do you honestly think I don't know that Martin screws around with little kindergarten girls like you? I don't care. You can have Martin. The girl stands up from the couch angry. Well, if you truly don't care... <laughs> Dude, this is the crazy... Well, if you truly don't care, why don't you just give him up? That's what she just did. She literally just said, you can have Morgan. And this chick's just like, why don't you just give him to me then? She's working off of a scripted plan, and it's not <laughs> going the way she wanted. She's no, going to stick to the no, script. No, stick to the script. Stick to no, the script. No, it's not, you can have Marvin. That's fine. Well, shit. Why don't you just give me Marvin? I I just did. I just said you could have Marvin. Oh, this movie. But it's also a typical woman reaction. Wait, you don't want him? Well, I, I'm not sure now that I want him because you're not really resisting taking him. Yax, we're bringing in certain outside things let's let's stick to the nonsensical insane women in this film but while alice isn't pissed about martin or the pregnancy she's very pissed that this chick brought her smart ass dirty filth into alice's clean house dude we saw a montage she cleaned this house so get your filthy smart ass out of here she says you're crazy the blonde says, I came here to tell you what's what, not the other way around. The girl yells, but we now know that nobody knows what's what more than Alice knows what's what. This is getting confusing for me. Who kn- I'm confused who knows what's what. Alice screams at the girl, get out, again. And as Alice raises her voice, you know who's going to come flying up those basement stairs any second now. Three, two, one. Yes. The college girl calls Alice a stupid sack of shit as she runs down the front steps of the house. So Alice picks up a nail gun, and with Ed's help, she shoots the expecting mother full of nails. She not only kills the whore, or the, I guess she's not a whore, she's a misunderstood college student. She she kills the baby. And she didn't, she didn't care one bit. Well, she has been communing with a homicidal ghost. I actually like this scene. It's the first time where you actually see uh, Ed actually physically touch her when he guides when he comes back around and guides her with the nail gun so that uh, she could shoot her accurately. I was like, I always thought that for some reason and, I thought that that was a pretty cool little scene there. And Tut, it's the first time you see Alice take responsibility and actually mm-hmm. man up and do something herself. Yeah. 
Just then, Martin pulls up to the house, and he follows the trail of blood and flesh-covered nails inside where he finds his blonde love slave slumped on the couch soaked in her own blood, with Alice calmly sipping some tea in her rocking chair nearby. He calls her crazy. He calls her fucking nuts. But she explains that he, in fact, is the sick, twisted, crazy one in the family. He's the sick pervert. He's the fornicating animal. Only, she says with a grin, it'll be a lot harder to fuck your dead girlfriend now. Man, she's... It was ruthless. No remorse. Martin gets in two good smacks across Alice's face. He's pissed. Before Ed runs in and spins him around. Mister, that's a lady you're smacking around. And in a split second, Ed has pinned Martin to the floor by driving a screwdriver through each of his hands, and he shoves Martin's head in a giant wooden vise. As Ed tightens the vise more and more, he mocks Martin for being a brainy smartass who doesn't know the meaning of hard work. It's guys like Martin, accountants, lawyers, those guys, who ruined Ed's life, and he's going to make Martin pay for it all. Alice decides she's going to head up and take a shower just as the vice breaks Martin's skull in half. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. (laughs) After a two-minute zoom-in on Alice's shower curtain that sadly, no, does not end up with us seeing her naked in the shower. Dude, it's a literal two-minute crawl zoom-in on Alice in the shower, I'm like, well, we're finally going to get to see some boobs. Nope. Rachel arrives back at the house, and upon seeing the living room massacre, she races upstairs to check on her sister. Alice is kind of out of it. It's been a long day. She's kind of loopy. But before Rachel can drag her out of there, Ed shows up in the doorway of the bedroom. Who the fuck are you, Rachel asks. Well, I'm just the carpenter. If you don't mind me saying, language like that does not sit well on a lady's tongue. He's old time. Well, despite Ed's rationalization that clearly a smart woman like Rachel can see that a guy like Martin, a douchebag like Martin, got exactly what he deserved coming from a guy like Ed. Rachel is not leaving there without her sister, despite any plans she and Ed might have made together. Ed shoves Rachel against the wall, and that snaps Alice out of her loopiness instantly. Get away from us, you asshole, she yells at the carpenter. You're just like Martin. You're an asshole, a pig. Stop that, Ed says. Comparing him to Martin, that does seem a little harsh. Even after all Ed's done, Martin's a much bigger asshole. Did a pretty quick flip-flop there. Every time she calls him an asshole, it's like a dagger and stabbing Ed in the heart. He's pained. And get this, when Alice picks up a dagger, or picks up a hammer, and starts bashing holes in the walls of the house, each pound of the hammer inflicts pain on Ed. 
You see, at this point, he and the house are one. In fact, after they tumble down the stairs together, Alice flees into the basement, and when Ed has to knock the doorknob off the cellar door to gain entry, he feels pain in that. Anything anything done to this house, violently, he feels it. That's an interesting premise. I don't know if I've seen that before in a haunted house film where, where doctor, you might chime in here, but I, I don't think I've, I've seen where hurting the, 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 the actual domicile hurts the, the, the stalker, the killer. I feel like I've seen something similar, but I can't quite come up with it. Um, nothing where a house was tied to an individual. It is an interesting touch. Yeah, thought, we've seen stuff like uh, you know, Conan the Destroyer, where he starts smashing the mirrors and it cuts the magician that was getting power from the from the mirrors, stuff like that. Uh, that's a good, you know, that's like Poe had follow the house of the usher, where the house represented the bad stuff. But yeah, this is a unique twist where you actually tie the manifestation to the house and you have to burn the house down. They didn't do that with one of the Elm Streets, did they, where they had to physically burn the house down to get rid of Freddy? I don't think so, but I'm not well-versed in those films. But okay. uh, good call on Conan and the Destroyer, because that's basically what it is. By smashing the mirrors, they're smashing there. And uh, Tut coming through with the Edgar Allan Poe. Way to go, college boy. <laughs> Ed's got my head in a vice. You're what's wrong here. You're okay. what's wrong here. <laughs> well, down in the basement, Ed tells her that the courting process is over. Enough is enough. And now that she's officially not married anymore, because you know Martin's dead, I think it's time for you to put out. She says that she's disgusted. Ed's turning to Cosby. Courtship is over. I killed old Marvin this time you She tells him, Ed, you're filthy. You're dead, and you smell bad. Before it didn't stop me. I just thought that that was a weird insult. There, you smell bad. Well, Can you actually she, smell his decaying body. Maybe she finally wakes up and gets that he's a ghost. I don't know. He creeps towards her. If she's not ready to put out, he'll just take it from her. But just then, Rachel steps in the room with an axe with the catchphrase, "Hey, Mister Fix It." She's got that axe. And the sisters began chopping and beating on the walls of the cellar with each axe hit and two-by-four swing, causing crippling pain to Ed. They they destroy the house, they destroy Ed. But Alice isn't content to stop there. She grabs a... The axe was at a propane torch? It was a propane torch. Okay. She's used for plumbing. And, and, she, and she sets the basement on fire. Missed opportunity uh. here. Missed opportunity here, Mr. Williams. And as you are as you are chopping into this basement, as you're exposing the studs of this basement, the best opportunity for a body reveal for the other six people that you have slayed to where Ed has stuffed their body into the framework of the house, exposing them as they're ripping the house open. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tut, good call. 
like that. Their souls become the mortar of the basis of the house. Or just like just like any good slasher victim, you want to have your trophies there. That's where he was hiding everything. I set her basement on fire before she woke up. <laughs> well, Ed, engulfed in flames now. Not only did she set the basement on fire, she set him on fire. And the flame-retardant stuntman goop. But still looks pretty cool. I thought it looked all right. I mean, it's supposed to be Ed, but I mean, the, the guy's clearly coated in the flame retardant stuntman goop, crawling towards them as they run outside. He chases the girls outside, where he's still shouting Alice to not leave him. They have plans, damn it, and he loves her. You should have been more of a gentleman, Ed. Alice said, as Ed collapses into a pile of ashes, and she and Rachel walk away into the night. I yeah. thought that was weak sauce. Like how it, I like how it ends on a one-liner. You <laughs> should have No, no. I'm with you, Yax. Screw Tut. I like that ending. Give her a one-liner, and that's how it ends. Tut didn't like that. Yeah, that's cool. The end. French composer Philippe Leroux... Oh, says that every piece of music needs that moment of madness. And I think this entire fucking movie is madness. And that's what makes it memorable, classic, and great. I've watched over the last 123 shows, I've watched a lot of really bad movies. And I've watched a lot of really bad movies three or four times to prepare ourselves for the show. I did not mind watching this movie over and over again, because every time I watched it, I had more questions. I realized I wasn't going to get answers. And it's just a really unconvinced, unintentionally esoteric, crazy fucking movie. And... I love it. I love it. I think the movie definitely has its place in conversation. I, For some inexplicable reason, I like the movie. I, it, it got me questioning things. It got me trying to follow the story, even if it was unintentional, even if it was just the byproduct of nonsense. I was still like, what's going on? Let me, let me. Let me rewind this part here. Let me try to figure what's going on here. And I like that. That's all I can ask for in a, in a movie sometimes. And it was just, it was fun. It was a ghost story. It was like a little classic little ghost story. I liked it. I thought it was, it was interesting. Now it was off the rails in terms of actual technical sure. capability. Yeah. And, but, uh, there's something charming about this movie. I can't is. really there explain is. it. And I'm glad you were able to pull your way, uh, pull your attention away from the Cubs game to give it the attention it deserves. Uh, man, I just really like this movie, Doctor. So there's a real, in terms of production value and the way that it looked and some of the strangeness. There's a real Sleepaway Camp 1 vibe to it. 
which is a movie that I really love. Um, just just in terms of how it looked and, and some of the craziness. Um, Wingshauser is obviously captivating. Uh, the actress, uh, uh, I believe her name is Lynn Adams. Yeah. Played Alice. Is, uh, she does a great performance. I think she does what should have been done for that role. Uh, that's a tough one for me because at 87 minutes long, I think I would go along with Tut and say there, there's a fun aspect to watching this. I really can't imagine how you watched it four times. Um, you had to for your professional uh, responsibilities. I'm torn on it as, yeah, it was a fun movie to watch once, but do I really want to watch this cheaply made piece of shit ever again? I doubt it. Can I, can I offer a counterpoint there? I would actually watch this for two reasons. Morton and the cop. I mean, they had some really cool, just, I mean, those are some batshit crazy characters that were just memorable. They're in it so briefly though. True. It would have been nice, but but it's worth it. When, when I, when I watch, when I hear people talk about Twin Peaks, David Lynch's Twin Peaks. Let's not compare this to David Lynch. No, but when I, when I hear them talking about Twin Peaks and like a certain small character and like, Oh, this this character and all. Say what you want about Wellington. He created or invited uh, some really strange, unique characters into this fucking movie, and I'm gonna give him props for it. Cause how could I? How could I not? How could I? How could I watch this thing and 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 we drool all over the sheriff? And this this pink guy, and this this husband like how can we like not be like oh my god these guys are like the most and not give props to the guy who kind of brought it all together even if he won't take credit for it I don't understand why he won't take credit for it because it's I've watched a lot of fucking movies and this movie is so fucking weird and so fucking esoteric. And this guy should take credit for it because he's not – it's not one of those bullshit movies where this guy's trying to be David Lynch. I think was, this guy was actually trying to make a normal movie. But, but at the same time, if if all of the weirdness and all of the esotericness is the byproduct of just happenstance, like the, the original actor for the cop didn't show up and this was just some guy that they put in It doesn't matter, there. dude. It doesn't I mean, matter. It, it doesn't does, it does if you're trying to claim, you know, credit for a film that was just a happy accident. If you're a director on a film and your your sheriff doesn't show up and you get this guy up there and he, like Doctor says, like I'll never forget this guy. Of course, at be- the same time, Gene Wilder wasn't supposed to play uh, the kid. You better damn well take credit for whoever you put in that suit and stepped into that sheriff's outfit, dude. That's that's the beauty of being a director. Yeah, I'm going to get shit on for whatever, but you know what? If a beautiful accident happens, I get the credit for that shit too, asshole. I, you don't get to shit on me for other stuff and not give me credit for this. Give me something. It was an, it was an entertaining little ride. Uh, I think that 
Wingshauser rules this film. To be to be fair to Wellington and anybody else, to me, it's obvious that this movie was hampered very much by budgetary constraints and that caused problems with the effects. It caused problems in the editing room later when I, I still believe somebody was sent in there and just said, we're doing a direct we'll slap this thing together. It's, I agree it's, with you on that. They get me, a, get me a cut by 5 PM. I'd, <laughs> I'd love to do a deep dive into this with the, the powers that be that, We've done the deepest dive into this that's ever going to happen or ever has. I agree. We have, and that's what we do. I, I agree we've done the deepest dive into the carpenter that maybe the carpenter has ever received. Somewhere but, Billy Bob's going, love, damn, boys, even I, I didn't would, touch this one. I would love to get some answers to... to. God, I just don't think you're going to get them. No, I don't know if I will ever get them. But in the meantime... Tug, give me some links. All right, people, listen up. First thing you want to do is you want to like us on Instagram. Go to at TNCC underscore podcast. See all the hilarity and the photos that we post up on there. Join us on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Uh, you can hit us on Twitter at TNCC cast and definitely go to the YouTube channel. Pound that like button. Hit the subscribe button. You can find us at Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Now. If you want to purchase any of the cigars that you've seen tonight, you can go to two places. You can either go to cigarhuster.com or you could go to famous smoke shop or you can actually go to Tuesday Night Cigar Club.com, hit the famous smoke shop banner, and that'll automatically put in a promo code TNCC20 and save you 20%. That's actually where I would go because, you know, saving 20% is like saving 20 bucks off of a purchase of 100. It's practically the same thing. And then, uh, let's see, what else am I forgetting? Oh, yeah, if you want to buy your little loved one a little something-something, you got Halloween coming up, and it's not too early to start shop start shopping for Christmas, you can go to the TuesdayNightCigarClub.com, hit the Amazon banner, do your shopping from there. helps keep the lights on. Did I forget anything? I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, this is our sixth march to Halloween. Oh, I love this time of year. God, I do, too. And I want to thank you boys, especially for uh, bearing with me on this fucking weirdo film. Um, this, is a, this, is, this is a stretch. This is a... Um, Usually going to Halloween, I, I pull out some easy ones, but this one, I I just love Wingshauser, and I loved... I love it. You've got the quintessential cop character that was awesome. you got Morton, who was awesome. you got the crazy doctor character, who was fun, all wrapped up in a tidy little ghost story. That's a great way to start off the March to Halloween. I do think so. Uh, well... We could never accurately and uh, judiciously do a David Lynch film on the film because on the podcast because it's they're way too crazy. But every once in a while, I find something that just speaks to me, and the Carpenter spoke to me. 
So screw you guys. That's a Carpenter reference. Oh. Uh, so we will see you in two weeks. We'll do another horror film. Uh, one much, much less esoteric and ambiguous. And it's going to be way straightforward and way straight up your ass. Am I right, Doctor? I don't know what it is, but I'll go ahead and agree with you. Okay. Um, in the meantime... Go to visit O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown Historic Temple, Texas. They're open Woo-hoo. for business. O'Brien's, my drinking hole. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! <laughs> Get your ass down there. Um, in the meantime, download uh, all of our episodes because they're all great. And if you haven't listened to our Matt Booth episode on episode 115, you're missing out. Because uh, we getting into some crazy wackadoodle shit. But you know what? Uh, I like the death bucket. And I I agree with the feedback we got prior to the show. It's not a scary cigar, but it's a nuanced cigar. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to give that a thumbs up. I'm going to give my beer, the Meltdown, a thumbs up. These little tiny cans. Doctor... (laughs) Doctor, did you never got the honey, but are you uh, going to give your beer a thumbs up? The local buzz uh, provided a stinging nice evening. There you go. Yak Boy, you liked your beer? 100%. And Tuttle, you liked your beer? Oh, man, the Thirsty Planet dance pants has my dance pants sounding like a power tool. I would have liked you to save that for when we do Romancing the Stone because those dance pants that Michael Douglas puts on and those (laughs) those linen pants that he kind of shakes. If I'm going to ever do Romancing the Stone, I'm going to have that entire outfit on. Those linen, those linen dance pants. I'm have the whole, the shirt, the shirt, the pants, the whole deal. I'm gonna be, yeah. and do a little dance back and forth. Look at those chompers. Look at those chompers. Look at those. What is, is it? Choppers or smackers? I think you no, said snappers. Look at those snappers. Look at those snappers. Look at those snappers. You're right, doctor. As always, you're right. So, uh, boys. And viewers and listeners, I'll leave you with this. As I take my puff from my cigar, I hope that uh, in the months coming up, you will not leave liberty in balance, unbalanced. You'll take it and you'll roll with it and you'll realize that it's your God-given right to do something right with it. Don't let the wings of liberty ever lose a feather. Vote. Vote early. Vote hard. Vote fucking. That's all we got. So do it. Vote. Wear a mask. Don't be an asshole. Try to Imagine things beyond your own little stupid atmosphere of bullshit. Uh, 
and we will see you in two weeks. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. We love you. Thank you for supporting us. We'll always support you. You're great. We're great. Well, we're kind of fucking awesome. And we'll see you in two weeks. Sign our motherfuckers! I think that went well. To learn more about the time that I began a carpentry project at the house and when I got stuck and needed some help, well, let's just say that Googling Woodsman Needed can lead naive eyes down a very dark and nefarious path rather quickly. But thankfully, a Mr. T.T. Boy showed up on time and, for a reasonable hourly rate, helped me install my kitchen cabinet's lickety-split. Now that's what I call a happy ending. Anywho, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, you can visit www.room101cigars.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.FritzBeerMusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well.